0: You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast. UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith.
1: Well, hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio this week, full of man flu, <laughs> is my co-host Matt
2: hello everyone good afternoon it is uh, it is uh, i can't even talk it is we're a little bit late starting it 's twenty past three uh, today because i've been delivering parcels and uh, it is sixteenth uh, of April two thousand sixteen yes it is it Thanks is a Saturday
1: and uh, you've joined us here then for episode 108 of the show we've got tons of news to get through this week we we've got a segment from pilot pip yep. we've got some audio feedback some uh, email feedback as well yes and uh, and and yeah we've got loads of stuff to do but we have got uh, two not one
2: i know we're, we're really we're two really spoiling ourselves
1: this week on the show <laughs> our first guest is someone you may know he uh, appears on our show as much as he can each week, bringing you his uh, safety from the flight deck segment. So, welcome onto the show, Pilot Pip. What's up? <laughs> oh dear. There he is. Really, what do you mean? Afternoon all. Afternoon. And uh, thank you for joining us today, Pip.
3: My pleasure, as always.
1: Good, good, good. And also, we have uh, from, uh, well, we have from, uh, well, from another, another realm of the UK... He's, uh, we've had him on the show before, and uh, he is the king of Royal Jet. Welcome on the show, Captain Al.
0: A very good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome on board.
3: <laughs> Yay! I <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, yeah. that was smooth. <laughs> I know. That was so good. I wish i thought of that.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, now, now, the reason for this is, as we were saying just a moment ago, is I'm a little bit under the weather today so it's probably a good idea if i don't do a great deal of talking so uh we're gonna let matt do the pushy button yeah i'm just doing the button things today so what we're hoping for technical wise is a very slick show oh yeah (laughs) because i won't be having to worry about reading stories for a change
1: no matt uh, matt is full of man flu and he's probably given it to me today which is kind of uh, him so i'll be ill for the next two weeks (laughs) and uh yeah thanks to everyone who's joined us in the chat room uh loads of People in the chat room, um, just, oh, just press the wrong button again. I'm always like, oh, uh, every week on here. On the laptop here. So we've got uh, Neville Bounds in the chat room. Um, we've got someone called Captain Al in the chat room. Hello to you, Captain Al. I've heard of him. Uh, Mash is in the chat room. Uh, Paul Trick is in the chat room. Tony S in the chat room. i uh, scrolling down. Uh, David Causton in the chat room. Our 100th episode uh, best friend, uh, David Causton, in the chat room. Hey. And uh, Philip Davis in the chat room. Um, just scroll. Oh, we've got uh, someone called Pilot Pip in the chat room as well. I've heard of him as well. Which is good. Yeah, uh, kick I'll, him out.
3: Kick him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm afraid. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, have just showing that we can multitask, are not we? Yeah, Bert? absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, no, indeed.
3: I know. So uh, yeah, so
1: thank you to you guys for joining us. You're uh, you're going to take over from Matt and do a story each, and uh, thank you. Chip in as you as you do so well. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so we 're going to start the show uh, actually with uh, with with this music oh yes it 's our patreon donor music again, so we just want to give a big thanks to our patreon donors on the show. And uh, thank you to all the people who, who, who donate very, very, very Indeed. kindly on Patreon. So uh, first on the list, then, we've got uh, Dr. Steph, who is uh, who's a patron on the show. There we go. And we've got Jeff Newman, uh, Ray Williams... Adrian Meacham, uh, wonderful chap here called Captain Al. He also donates <laughs> through Patreon. Uh, Short Bucker, he's uh thank you to you, Stuart, uh, for donating. And Philip Leib, uh, Philip Leib, you're another donator as well. And York Moller, thank you for your kind Patreon donations. So don't forget if you want to uh, if you want to donate to uh, to us via Patreon or PayPal, you can go on the uh, website and send your donations in via the Patreon tab on our homepage. Yeah, that is
2: uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com and you'll find uh, all the other buttons, Amazon and everything, is all on that same bit. You can just press on there, and the link to go straight to our Patreon page, it's there.
1: Yes, so thank you to all you guys for donating via Patreon. It does help, as we have always said. To uh, to well keeping the show going and also much, for yeah. our trips yeah. various trips yes. we've got planned well, and we have soon. Patreon
2: to thank for our, our new tower and on all sorts of, yeah. sorts yeah. of uh, and our HD upgrade as well for the V yeah yeah nice. and that's well, thank, thank to you to you guys, guys. Mm-hmm. very much so thanks very much there we go turn the music off now yeah that's <laughs> right I feel very relaxed I feel I, like I should go out I should put on some kind of smoking slippers. jacket now yeah, yeah. I know <laughs>
1: The chat room, chat room normally likes the music as well. He, he did. He's good. <laughs> right, so we are going to start off uh, the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready, uh, Pilot Pip.
3: I'm ready from the north.
1: And if you're ready, Captain Al.
3: Ready from the northwest. Ooh,
1: let's go. So kicking off this week's first <laughs> Pip, I think, was singing that, the music. <laughs> so kicking off this week's first news story on uh, the Sun website and the headline: Jet2.com plane forced to divert from landing at Leeds Airport due to a longer runway at Manchester uh, because of faulty flaps. I'm sorry, what? So a passenger plane was forced to divert uh, from landing at Leeds Airport to a longer runway at Manchester because of faulty flaps. The source told The Sun that the Jet2.com flight, due to land at Leeds at 1 o'clock from Geneva, had to be diverted to Manchester after pilots noticed a flap malfunction as the plane was descending. It's understood the Boeing 737 had to make a flapless landing, something I've done many times flying the Cessna 172 at Manchester because it uh, has a longer runway after trying to land at Leeds. And uh, the flight number LS286 landed safely at Manchester Airport later on in the afternoon, although it is believed the plane was still travelling at some speed when it touched down on the runway, coming in at 180 knots. Uh, according to the uh, report here, a, a normal landing, and the, the guys, uh, our two guests would probably uh, know this better than this sun would, a normal <laughs> landing yes. would be at around 130 to 140 knots. So what do you think about this uh, story then, uh, you, our two wonderful guests?
4: Um,
3: well, what do you think, Pip? I think, um, <laughs> so I was just looking up the runway length at both Manchester and Leeds. I see Manchester's about 10,000 feet long. Uh, I haven't got round to Leeds yet, but I guess it's a, little it's a little lot shorter. shorter. It's a yeah. lot shorter, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, it happens. Flaps do fail occasionally. I think somewhere in the story it says something like uh, it's a regular problem, as quoted by someone from Jet 2. I I wouldn't go that far. It's certainly not a regular problem as far as I was concerned. I think in the last 10 years I've probably had one, maybe two flap issues. Um, But yeah, they did the right thing. Uh, You need the flaps... To allow uh, a slower flight, slowing down is something that you obviously want to do when you're landing, and if you haven't got the ability to use the flaps, then you're going to have to make a much faster approach and landing, and a much faster approach and landing obviously means you're going to eat up much more runway,
5: right.
3: considerably more runway in fact, so um, you know we have certain safety factors we have to uh, use to make sure that we can stop within the available landing distance, so using... Zero flap or whatever flap they landed with, you need to uh, ensure that whatever runway you use is going to be enough to to get the thing stopped. So are, are, are different um,
2: um, aircraft more prone to this particular technical fault perhaps than others? Is it, is it is it more down to the the actual craft that perhaps is why I, know, I say? I know jet
1: that, two, the, I know their 737s are quite old, aren't they? Uh, the, jet, the jet two ones. Well, or, know, I if, think they're three or you these 300s. things
3: are being properly maintained. i No, I don't think there's. Uh, I mean, Al's flown uh, the 73 so He's probably got a better idea. But I don't think it's a particularly um, ongoing or prevalent problem
0: no no absolutely not um uh, to be perfectly honest um uh just about all the aircraft types that i've flown um have uh, been pretty reliable this just falls into the category of one of those things i mean obviously any piece of machinery can can develop a fault um flaps and slats um obviously larger aircraft well, in fact it's not exclusive to larger aircraft but the slats are the leading uh, edge uh, lift devices typically and the flaps of the trailing edge uh, lift devices um, one of the things that you definitely don't want to happen is for them to asymmetrically deploy so you get flaps on one side or not the other that will give you some very very significant control issues so one of the uh, things that aircraft manufacturers design into the the aircraft, is it'll be a flap lock mechanism or some sort of wingtip brake that stops any asymmetry. So uh, if you have the flaps running out at slightly different speeds, it will lock the flaps, that sort of thing. So it may well have been that uh, there was just a very small issue that caused the the flaps uh, to be uh, disabled uh, by the aircraft systems to prevent a greater problem.
1: Yeah, just looking in the chat room and and Tony S has put uh, the the Jet 2 fleet is an old fleet which uh, is, they've got uh, they've actually got one A321 Al, which they've leased from Titan Airways Uh, that's an A321 200, they've also got uh, 27 737 300s and they've also got 18 737 800s
0: and 11 757 200s. Yeah, I mean the situation with sort of Older aircraft. I mean, many a good tune is played on an old fiddle. So, <laughs> um, and in some ways, uh, brand new out of the factory airplanes can have their own unreliabilities. So, I mean, if anyone's ever bought a new house, you'll know that there's always a snagging list uh, oh, yeah. that goes into several pages. As an example, um, airplanes are quite often that way, and um, it's not uncommon to have uh, to have issues with brand new airplanes. So, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't place too much sort of kudos on the on the age of an aeroplane. There are lots of very old aeroplanes flying around very, very safely. Um, the loss of uh, flaps isn't, uh, isn't a, a major issue. It uh, requires some uh, some consideration, some briefing and some calculations. And from my point of view, um, I think that the, the, the pilots did a great job in deciding um, that, that once they couldn't get the, the required flaps out that they needed, that they would go to a longer runway, which is literally uh, just you know five or six minutes down the road by air, uh, uh, and that's Manchester. Um, and there are other things to, to consider, really, um, and that is that, yes, it's a longer runway, um, but also the, the situation where if it became necessary to overrun the, uh, the runway, you're in a much better position at Manchester than you are at Leeds.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: looking... Leeds, I just got it here now, Leeds is 7,300-ish feet small. versus 10,000 feet at Manchester, mm. so there's definitely a bit of extra runway over at Manchester. But uh, yeah, like Al said there, old does not mean unreliable or no. No. you know uh, unsafe in, in, in any way at all. In fact, they're old for a reason, because... They're good, reliable aeroplanes, and they keep on going.
2: Well, of course, when, was it the Dreamliners that first came out, and they got the, um, the the battery issues, didn't they, when they first Yeah, absolutely, it's like, yeah.
3: yeah. It's not uncommon for new aer- aircraft types to have uh, niggles that take a little time to solve. I mean, I'm sure the 350, when it comes online, will have problems... Such, uh, no, it won't. The, it's uh, Airbus. It'll be. Yeah. Apart, apart from <laughs> that, apart
1: from the issue that one had on the press flight, if you remember, Al. Uh, <laughs> remember the press? And it had the wrong uh, runway length calculation in the computer, and the aircraft came to an abrupt halt on the takeoff run. That aeroplane
0: did exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what it was programmed to do.
2: <laughs> Why do I get the feeling I'm involved in some kind of fun fight I today? Know. I oh,
1: do. before we go on to the next story, yes. um, hello in the chat room to uh, Doc, uh, Dr. Steph um, has joined us. Oh, so she's an actual doctor, she can help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Steph, we need you, Steph, because uh, Matt's, Matt's got man flu. Well. <laughs> so on to the next story, and this one would normally be Matt's, but, um, yeah. but uh, Matt's sitting is going to take yes. this next story.
3: I am going to take this next story, and I'm speaking very slowly whilst I pull the story. I've got it right. This is from Guardian.com. On board Ryanair's first luxury jet. Did it make me feel like a VIP?
2: Hmm. <laughs> I think the answer to that would be no.
3: <laughs> well, let's just wait and see yeah, okay. that Don't be so sorry. I've been really sorry. Ryanair. <laughs> yeah, but you know,
2: uh, I'm so used to being the one bashing Ryanair. I'm rather enjoying someone else doing it. <laughs> well,
3: let's see. Okay, so the story says there is no scrum at the boarding gate and enough leg room to tap dance in. This is the Ryanair, but not as we know it. With a tap of plastic champagne flutes, the Irish airline's new corporate jet service embarked on its maiden voyage on Tuesday with a short hop from London Gatwick to its spiritual home in Dublin and for 4000 pounds an hour you too can live like a Ryanair VIP there's no shower or Austin Power style gyrating bed but you and your 59 but you and your 59 of your best mates can swap the overpriced paninis pringles and soft drinks of cattle class to party on your personal Ryanair plane uh, for a price the budget airline will even lay on a fine dining which for its first outing was a smorgasbord of fruit salad complete with 1970s-style melon balls, smoked salmon, pastries <laughs> and copious amounts of fizz, albeit Prosecco rather than champagne.
0: No <laughs> angel delight to go with the fruit salad. I, I think that would have been a perfect, perfect <laughs> yeah. compliment.
3: That sounds yeah. a bit naff, doesn't it? <laughs> it does appear. Melon balls and smoked salmon. Anyway, <laughs> no, the 737-700, oh, it's an older one, Seven three seven seven hundred 737-700 has been refurbished with 15 rows of plush leather seats with two seats... Where there would normally be three, there is plenty of elbow room, and a forty-eight-inch seat pitch well,
5: That uh, means bad, even
3: the most enthusiastic manspreader—that sounds very odd, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. The most enthusiastic manspreader can relax without invading his travelling companion's personal space. Wow, that, that's not a bad seat pitch, though, is it?
1: No, that's quite a good seat
2: pitch, actually. Um, oh, the, I have lost the plot, As well, we, No, we had,
1: we had the picture up. Matt had the picture up there while we were doing the story as well, yeah. and the, the seats do look really comfy, actually, to be but To
2: be honest, they just look like newer versions of the ones that they have anyway. Uh, they're, definitely wide. they're wider, well, yeah, they're, they're a, a lot wider, wider.
1: and the head, yeah. the, uh, they've got those wing headrests, you know, the ones uh, Emirates have those on the economy seats, right. that fold okay. inwards to give you somewhere to sort of sort lever, rest, rest your heads. head. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Oh,
2: well. But it says... Uh, it says I, I noticed they've actually been advertising on television this week. They, they have. Are, and and I, I, I don't think I've ever seen Ryanair um, advertise on, on British television, um, yeah, which, which is a bit bizarre. I was trying to find... I can't find it on YouTube because I was going to try and play the video. but uh, anyway, £4,000 yeah. an hour what for a full hour? flight, this is. Well, I suppose if, you know... This is, but um, that's, uh,
1: that's know. Like, like... That's £12,000 to fly to Malta. Right with all my friends.
2: Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well, I, is that, I, I couldn't work out? Is that four thousand pounds an hour each? No, that's. I think that's thing? for
1: the whole flight, isn't it, Pip?
3: Well, that actually that strikes me as very cheap. Really. Four grand an hour for a seven three seven. Yeah, I would have expected triple that. Oh, I was going to give SaveJet a
1: ring, see if they are any cheaper I'll <laughs> yeah. oh, shan't bother
3: them. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah. but do you know Ryanair actually has or operates its own Learjet 35? Uh, I think in fact I think they have two of them. They use for, um, or for various things, for shuttling around their executives, their the big wigs for meetings and whatnot around Europe, and they also use it for shuttling around. Uh, engineers for AOG work. So when aircraft break down in some remote location, they can stick a couple of engineers and spare parts onto these Learjets and whisk them across to get the aircraft fixed.
1: Okay, I just visions of, of of the guys lumping in big oily parts of um,
2: of a 737 <laughs> into into a Learjet. I'm, yeah. I'm, busy, I'm, busy, I'm busy looking at the, the chat room here. There's a yeah. couple of things that is live. Neville has said, uh, well, it's a good afternoon, Neville, uh, was saying, I hope that that awful fanfare has been switched off for landing. Uh, and also, yeah, I wonder whether they still get the fanfare <laughs> on, yeah. on, the, on, the, on the, you know, the business 737-700, um,
1: Ryanair's one.
0: <laughs> I, I think Ryanair have got rid of that uh, fanfare now, haven't they? They, they
1: have,
2: uh, yeah. They,
0: they've decided that now that they're going to be a bit more upmarket and be more customer-focused that they're not going to annoy everyone.
2: Well, my, I, think, uh, I think that's a yeah. matter of opinion, isn't it? <laughs> and also...
0: Well, yes, leopards and spots spring to mind. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it's, I think this, uh, this, this VIP thing that, that Ryanair are trying to do, I, I personally feel that it's just uh, another one of those uh, Ryanair marketing strategies yeah. Yeah. because I'm not entirely convinced that there are going to be too many uh, VIP transport bookers who are going to use Ryanair uh, with a fleet of one to <laughs> yeah. you know uh, to uh, transport their high-flying, no pun intended, executives around Europe, <laughs> and you know it's still it's still Ryanair at the end of the day. So um, you know, with all due respect, I, I wouldn't uh, you know. Take anybody that I was trying to impress to the little chef for dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right.
2: Yeah, fair point. It, although it, although it, David Coulson does actually point out it works out. If you fill it, it actually works out at £67 per person. That's quite so, cheap. I mean, if it, if there were a lot of you, if you were taking, what, uh, how many does it hold? 200 no, I can't. I've got... No, I, no, no. it, they, they,
0: no, it they, they...
3: said 40-something, didn't it? 40 something, yes. yeah. Oh,
2: right. Oh, okay. I was, oh, yeah.
3: Make, make me yeah. But
1: know,
2: if, you remember, if
1: you remember, I mean, Pip, you'll you'll definitely remember this one, because they were based at Luton, and Al, you probably remember that um, I mean, there was a couple of airlines that have tried this in the past, having an all-business-class <laughs> kind of thing. If you remember, I think it was Silverjet that was based mm, yes. at Luton, yeah. and they had the uh, 767, I think it was mm-hmm. three hundred uh, three hundred series seven six and they had all business class seats in that. Right. And they they weren't going for very long at all. I think they didn't last very many years. I think there
3: is a market for this stuff, uh obviously something I'm involved with a little bit, but also the the BA Speedbird one, is it from London City to New York? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The all business class configuration.
0: Yes, there's also a French airline, I forget the name of them now, who do uh, an all-business class service out of uh, Paris, I would imagine, um, to uh, New York and a couple of other places. I think there's a small market for it. Um, But, of course, once your company has sort of reached uh, a reasonable level of of income, then you're going to start to look at the the exec jet carriers rather than the, the business class only carriers, because then you're going to get aeroplane available where you want it, when you want it, rather than trying to fit in with a schedule. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Silverjet were founded in 2006, and they ceased operations in 2008. And they had... um, they had, had a fleet of 767-200s
2: in their Be, fleet. Before, sorry, somebody, I won't name them, but somebody's just put in the chat room there that uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that a, that a Learjet 35 would have been big enough for Michael O'Leary's ego. No. <laughs> sorry. So
1: moving on to the next story. Before we, before we all get sued. I oh, know. Yeah. And uh, the next story is all yours, Al.
0: Okay, this comes from Flight Global. And the headline is Tail Strike Damage Found After Corundan 737 Diversion. Turkish investigators are looking into a serious incident involving a Boeing 737 800, which suffered a tail strike on departure from Billund. The Corundan Airlines aircraft had been bound for Antalya on the 5th of March. Although it sustained the tail strike on takeoff in darkness, The aircraft did not return to the airport, but proceeded to follow its course to Turkey. Danish Investigation Authority, HCL, says the strike presumably went unnoticed by the crew. Some one hour and 20 minutes into the flight, in the vicinity of the Polish-Slovakian border, the crew chose to turn north and divert to Warsaw. Initial investigation of the jet, an 11-year-old airframe registered Tango Charlie Tango Juliet Papa revealed damage consistent with a tail strike on departure. HCL has not explained what prompted the diversion to Warsaw. Turkish investigators have started an inquiry supported by the Danish authority. Well, I suppose one of the things that we need to know about this, really, is was it... You know, did it just take the paint off the tail, yeah. or did it leave large bits of titanium stroke aluminium on the runway at Billund, and yeah. uh, people were disappearing out the back of the aeroplane <laughs> faster than you could count them? <laughs>
2: right. There's a big difference. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right in thinking, well, I, I've seen it on, uh, online, but the, a lot of the larger wide-bodied aircraft have a kind of uh, a device that they install on the rear, which comes out like a ram that comes out of the back. To protect from tail strikes,
0: yeah, or you can um, super glue a banana skin <laughs> to the tail, and that, that works equally as well.
1: <laughs> Only from Captain Al, I didn't. I actually I had to look up <laughs> when I got this news story who Corindon was because I hadn't even heard of Corindon Airlines. Um, but um, they are, well, they've uh, they've been going since November two thousand and four, oh. and their headquarters are in Turkey. But they actually their fleet consists of 14 737 eights. Um, yeah, on their fleet. So,
0: I mean, it's quite conceivable that the crew were genuinely unaware that they'd had a, a tail strike, and then, uh, as a result of uh, a runway inspection, uh, Bill and uh, the message was sort of passed down the line that, that, that they'd had a tail strike, mm. and then obviously. Um, either the crew decided amongst themselves or in consultation with their operations department that maybe the best place for the airplane was, was on the ground. And therefore they decided to go to Warsaw. Um, you know, it largely depends on how much damage there was. I mean, mm-hmm. we're aware that, uh, uh, not so long ago, a, a middle Eastern airline uh, took out some of the, the runway lighting in Miami and decided to, to carry on. So it's not a clear cut thing of, we've had a, a tail strike and, uh, uh and, and we're returning back you may be unaware
1: i know uh, for the for the benefit of those in the chat room and that as well i know obviously you and you al and pip you've never had a tail strike because you're fantastic pilots but is it is it noticeable if you have a tail strike as as you know the flight deck crew can you is it a noticeable feeling of a tail strike do you know you know when you're pulling you know on on t- you know pulling back
0: um, well, a lot of it will depend on on the aeroplane. I mean, obviously, on the larger aeroplanes, you're several hundred feet away from the mm. tail. So, um, if it's a if it's a glancing, you know, blow, then no, you're not going to be aware. Uh, if you rip large parts of it off and the aeroplane doesn't dip, doesn't
5: pressurise,
0: then yes, you are aware, um, or you may get some uh, information from the cabin crew at the the rear of the aircraft saying. Just to let you know, we heard a lot of grinding on takeoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but as you've quite rightly identified, I've not uh, not had a, a tail strike, so uh, I can't give you any personal
1: experience on that. <laughs>
0: no, no, indeed. And, and no, neither,
3: neither has been. No, me neither. To be honest, I, you'd have to be doing something pretty extreme on my aircraft to get a, a tail strike, uh, just because of the, the geometry of the, the thing. You'd have to be at some crazy... A rotation angle to to hit the tail on the runway. I'll give it a go though. Yep. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> now in
1: in the sim in the sim Pip trying the sim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neville, no, Neville I, I
3: don't think it's possible on my aircraft.
1: Neville Bounds has put in the chat room that it, uh, he thinks it's a bit of a worry when uh, when it took the toilets out of the back. They decided to it's divert. Like, oh, absolutely, quite right. Yeah. You must have toilets. You must have toilets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So next story. Moving on. On uh, aviationnews.eu, and the headline: Etihad Airways is honoured for its reliable A380 operations. That sounds like a guarantee to have
2: a problem now, doesn't it? No, no, no.
1: <laughs> look lovely. There's a nice picture. We'll put that up on the screen. Right, right so, Airbus has recognised uh, the United Arab Emirates flag carrier Etihad Airways with a prestigious award for delivering the best ever operational and reliability performance in the first year of A380
2: operations. And what's the bet that in one week's time we're covering a story where Etihad have their first problem? Oh, don't say that.
1: (laughs) The Etihad Airways fleet of uh, A380s uh, recorded an impressive 99.8% Reliability, operational reliability rate between January and December 2015, marking the highest level recorded by an airline in its first year flying the Airbus's 21st century flagship jetliner. Our engineering teams, as well as our Airbus colleagues, are uh, are to be congratulated for this success, said Etihad's Airways Senior Vice President Technical Jeff Wilkinson. As Etihad Airways is flying the A380 with one of the highest rates of uh, daily utilisation, with the typical turnaround time of only two hours, this achievement is all the more remarkable. This unmatched operational performance in the first year of operating the A380 was made possible due to exceptional teamwork, uh, constant thrive for improvement and forward-thinking mindset, added uh, Dider, Lux Airbus SVP Head of Customer Services. Uh, we have clearly seen a precedent in a380 operational excellence uh, the airline's 99.8% operation reliability rate in 2015 means only 0.2% of its a380 flights were delayed with no cancellations during the 12 month period and there are currently 6 a380s in the etihad airways fleet with more uh, four more scheduled for delivery so I've never flown with Etihad, so I don't. know, I can't really say what they're like, but they're, they are supposed to be a really good airline, and they also have um, the uh, the residents um, in their three eighties, don't they? The uh, the posh rooms upstairs. But uh, I mean, I've tried. I've tried. Um, obviously, Emirates. I've flown with. those yes. guys. Yeah. I don't suppose any you t- any you two have flown with uh, Etihad, Pip Al? Uh, no, no,
0: no. Like yourself, I've uh, I've flown with emirates uh a handful of occasions but mm. uh uh no not not etihad or qatar
3: no me neither I, one flight on uh emirates from athens to dubai a couple of years ago but i've not tried the other ones yet
1: uh, what about the 380s are have you uh, have you both flown on the 380
3: i have not likewise really no, nah. yeah, We're not, I'm like, the only one. Us. We're not money bags flying off to exotic locations every week. We got to work for a living.
1: How very dare you! Yeah, I tell you, it's not cheap learning to fly. I tell no, you that. No,
2: indeed. Yeah. Right. So moving on to the next story,
1: and Pip, this one is. Let's all not upset was. our guests, no, Carlos. No, no, please, we, we need them.
2: <laughs>
3: okay, the next story then is from thebreakingtravelnews.com. British Airways to fly Team GB to the Rio Olympics. Mm -hmm. British Airways has been appointed as the official airline partner of Team GB and the Paralympics team ahead of the Rio 2016 uh, Olympic Games. With a long history in supporting the national teams, British Airways will ensure the medalists' hopefuls arrive refreshed and ready to compete. At the end of the Games, the airline will fly over 1,500 athletes, support staff and equipment back to London for a special welcome arrival. To announce the partnership athletes from some of the sports being introduced at Rio attended a launch event at Heathrow Airport. Uh, this day this includes Dan Bibby who hopes to represent Team, team GB in the rugby sevens or oh, cool and Melissa Reed who hopes to represent the Paralympic GB in triathlon. Sevens player Bibby said this is a very exciting time for rugby players with it coming to the Olympic Games for the first time ever. Well about time I say.
2: Yeah, absolutely, I love. I love rugby.
3: Yeah, I know Carlos does as well. He's a big. <laughs> he is. He's rugby a massive. Well, no, I will mean, tell you, he's a massive
2: sports fan in oh, general. Oh god, mean, geez. Do, do you know every? If you, if you, if you sneak in here, there he is cheering on the the latest sports team. Uh, <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's more likely to be asleep, snoring his head off if I'm honest. But uh, Now I can't wait. I, I. Do you know what? I can't believe how quickly. I can't believe how quickly the four years has got, come round. I can't believe we're about to launch into Rio. Um, given that, you know, we've hosted the last one in 2012, I can't believe that four years has gone by already.
1: Although it would have been nice to see Royal Jet fly Team GB. Quite
3: right, yes, I think, absolutely. Yeah. I don't well, think you'd uh, get all the way down to Rio, would you, in your <laughs> little <air masses? laughs>
2: Oh dear. Uh-oh. I really go,
3: shouldn't start uh, Well, I was going go, go, oh, go like to say, I'm to
5: go and dash the sight here.
0: further than you would in your toy. <laughs> yeah.
2: oh, I'm just no. going to keep quiet, I think. <laughs> what have you started, Pip? What have oh, you started? No. I
1: knew that we travelled travel today having these two on. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: It's
0: an interesting one. I wonder how many different airlines tendered for the contract. there's only gonna be a a handful who would be in a position to do so. Yeah, yeah, I I, thought it's BA and Virgin really.
2: I wonder you never know, Ryanair might have done. (laughs) <laughs> no, that I'd love to see.
0: Actually, That it, would largely scupper our gold medal chances,
1: wouldn't
2: it? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah you no, know, they, think they, probably they'd probably right.
1: charge charge our guys more to fly
2: home with the gold
1: medals, and it's extra weight. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And there will be a lot of them. So, yes, obviously, it's the bag the baggage handling that probably put everyone off. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, you, you've raised a, a, a very valuable point there. There is going to be an awful lot of baggage. Yes,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, that actually there. yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. M- mind you, I-, I suppose you could send it by courier. I mean the
0: weightlifters I mean they're going to have to take their weights with them, aren't they?
2: <laughs> I think they might be there. I think the weights might already be in Rio. I don't I don't, yeah, I don't think know. We'd definitely need we'd
1: definitely <laughs> need Royal Jet. Yeah. Yeah, I think you so. Know. Yeah, you, you wouldn't get it in the 172. Do, you wouldn't get you no. would get it in your little Cessna. No. Right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, onto, on to the next story. To, some,
2: somebody please move on. <laughs> and Captain Al, this is all yours.
0: Okay, this is a story from, oh, aviationnews.eu. Not one I'm particularly familiar with, but nonetheless. Uh, Pratt & Whitney Pure Power, registered trademark, engine powers (laughs) Asia's first A320neo for Indigo. Indigo's first Airbus A320neo, powered by Pratt & Whitney's pure power geared turbofan, easy for some people to say, (laughs) arrived in India on March the 11th, making it Asia's first A320neo. Pratt & Whitney is a United Technologies Corporation company. The A320neo aircraft powered by Pratt & Whitney's pure power geared turbofan engines will enable us to continue to offer affordable air transportation and a new flying experience for our customers. The fuel-efficient aircraft will be part of a new phase of our growth and will enable us to offer more regional and international destinations at the best price, said Editha Ghosh, president of Indigo. We are proud to provide Indigo with engine technology that is a generation ahead to support the airline's rapid growth in India, said Rick Duralu. Senior Vice President, Sales and Marketing, Commercial Engines, Pratt & Whitney. For nearly 60 years, Pratt & Whitney continues to power commercial aircraft in India. And we are excited to expand our relationship with airlines in India, such as Indigo, with the Pure Power Engine. We're eager for customers to experience the unmatched benefits of this engine firsthand, including double-digit reductions in fuel burn, emissions, a noise. Well, the noise is going to be of interest to the uh, the general passengers, but I don't think they are going to be that concerned about the fuel burn. That's more of a, a commercial thing for the airline. Yeah, sure. Moving on, in 2012, Indigo placed one of the largest pure power engine orders in Pratt and Whitney's history to power 150 Airbus A320 new aircraft and a long-term maintenance agreement. The pure power engine family has completed more than 50,000 cycles and 32,000 hours of testing. For those of you who are unaware, Indigo is India's largest low-cost carrier, as well as the fastest-growing carrier in the world, according to the Centre for Aviation. It operates services linking 34 domestic and 5 international destinations and its main base is Delhi's Indira Gandhi International Airport. So, great stuff. Uh, it's good to see that uh, Indigo have got the courage of their convictions to uh, stick with the, the Airbus product, and it's going to do absolutely wonders for their, uh, their fuel savings over the next few years.
2: I, I can't help but feel that Captain, I might be a bit of an Airbus fan. I don't know whether I, yeah. where I got that from. Anyone would think yeah. he flies an Airbus. Anyway. <laughs>
0: Look, it's, it's very simple, really. I've, I've had the opportunity to very briefly fly a, a Boeing, and I've been flying the the Airbus now for uh, for 15 years. An airy, Any aeroplane that allows you to eat your dinner in comfort on a table
2: <laughs> without having to balance a tray on your lap <laughs> oh. wins hands down from me. <laughs> well and then the, that's a valid uh, do you do you have such luxuries in uh, in your little uh, your little craft mr uh, pip? mr pip
3: um i stepped away sorry i missed the story entirely well
1: pip, i think <laughs> I, I think yeah well, thanks pip <laughs> thanks for i that. think <laughs> the, the difference is a difference is to see al al has kind of an, an airline meal on on board his uh, on on board his royal jet 321 whereas pip obviously because he's obviously flying this this uh, this Porsche 911 of the sky. R- quite right. Yeah. Pip has little little uh, cartons of caviar and um, sushi and stuff like that on the. S- pot. Mm, I did
3: once have foie gras for a, a crew mill. Oh. I beg your pardon. <laughs> which is very nice. <laughs> What's one of those? <laughs> foie a... gras. is like a, you know what that is. It's um, like a, a duck pate,
2: oh. goose pate, oh, oh, French lovely. delicacy. Oh. oh, get you,
3: get you. <laughs> that sounds very nice.
1: We have Couscous.
2: Nothing else. wrong with Couscous. And Weetabix. Yeah.
1: You get Weetabix on board, uh, Al.
2: <laughs> Rice Krispies on a Friday? oh, oh Wow. You see, Rice Krispy Friday. That is the answer. Right, Matt,
1: get on Get on the uh, Royal Jet website. I want a flight for us. Right, okay. Yep. Yeah. Where, where are we going? Where can I we go to? <laughs> I just want the Rice Krispies. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> can we move on, please? Can we move on, <laughs> Right so the next story on the aviation new uh, .eu uh, news aviation site and uh, the headline Emirates says ordered two Airbus A380s for delivery in the fourth quarter of 2017 as if they need any more 380s Emirates has ordered two Airbus A380s, which will be delivered in the fourth quarter of 2017. The Dubai airline, ba- or based airline, said in a statement on Wednesday. The airline already operates 75 of the super jumbos, while the addition of these two aircraft, which will have the Rolls-Royce Trent 900 engines, uh, takes its order book for the 380 to 67, according to the statement. Picture on the screen there for Matt to put on of three. I mean, Emirates have got a huge fleet of these, um, you know, the 380s, and they they obviously built, a few years back, they built that specialised terminal at uh, Dubai just to cater oh, wow. for the uh, for the 380s. Okay. Well, that's good. And I have to say, I mean, I've, I've been on Emirates, flown with Emirates quite a few times now, and they uh, they do have a fantastic service, and uh, I do love the uh, three eighty as well. That's probably one of the... Yeah, you can plug them all you like. Fewer, we're still not, we're still not getting free flights, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> we should do, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> But uh, no, I hope I hope you both of you two guys can get a chance to go on a three hundred and eighty because it definitely is one hell of an experience.
3: Mm, I'd love to. Um, Maybe one day. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've got it sort of penciled in for for a couple of years' time. I'll I'll let it uh, uh, prove itself first. You know, iron out the kinks first. What it is, what it is, Matt.
1: Al is waiting for the A three hundred and eighty or the Airbus to come out with the A three hundred and eighty Neo. Oh right. New well, option.
0: yeah there is there is a possibility that they that that might come to fruition you know uh, that the the, the the you know they, they've, they've got all the team ready to do the the neos so uh, it's just a case of uh, making it move on to the next fleet
2: well, that's true. I should just explain to all those of you who are watching on YouTube. Um, <laughs> it's uh, The reason why I keep laughing is because uh, Pip and Al keep sending me new photos, because uh, we're using a group chat, which we've never done before, and I've still got some bugs to iron out in it, so we're not able to do the video at the moment. So they keep emailing me random pictures every now and again. So uh, apologies for that. <laughs> but
1: no, the uh, Dr. Steph's still in the chat room, so yeah. it's not too early for her... Okay. we're doing a later show which is good
2: well that's true that is true yeah
1: so uh, moving on to the next story which must be
3: pips i guess it must be and this is another oh it's another middle eastern story very middle eastern flavor today isn't there uh, it's an etihad Airways signs code share deal with avianca is that how we say that
1: avianca yeah yep.
3: yep. Avianca, right yeah yep. yep. national airline for columbia if i remember rightly Ooh, good one Right. Etihad Airways and Avianca, one of Latin America's leading airlines, have announced a new code share partnership. Under the agreement, the national airline of the United Arab Emirates will place its EY code on Avianca operated flights between uh, Bogota and London Heathrow and Madrid Barajas. While Avianca will place its AV code on Etihad Airways flights between Abu Dhabi, London and Madrid. Kevin Knight, Etihad chief A strategy and planning officer said Avianca is one of the world's oldest and most experienced airlines. Its reputation for superior service and extensive network spanning both the Americas and Europe makes it fully compatible with Etihad Airways strategic plans to increase travel and customer benefits between the UAE and South America. The continued development and expansion of our partnership with the Avianca Group will give Atiyad Airways unprecedented reach, facilitating its penetration in markets with greater commercial and tourism dynamics in Latin America, while promoting cultural and business relations between the UAE and Colombia. So that's good news.
1: Yes, it's uh, certainly. That's, That's another place that I know Nick's flown into quite a few times. Over at uh, the APG, I think he's flown into Nairobi, hasn't he, with um, with um, Acme Red?
3: Nairobi.
1: I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm sure Nick said he's flown into Nairobi with Acme Red.
3: Talking yeah, oh, about
1: sure Columbia. <laughs> Colombia.
3: <laughs> Different part of the world, Carlos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm reading. I'm reading the headline on the story. That's all. London before Nai- and Nairobi. All right. Am I reading the right story here? I've got the right story in front of me. <laughs> Probably not. No, oh, my don't life. Think you have. <laughs> I don't think I have. Probably not. Right,
2: good, lovely. It's all going smoothly. I'm, really mul- smooth from I'm multitasking. Benefit. I'm Him multitasking. We're
0: talking about the Avianca story, <laughs> have I got that one? Uh, and, and and Carlos has decided to go off on his own little dream world <laughs> and start to read the next story and start talking about it.
2: <laughs> I've got. I have got the. Ro-
0: Where the heck did that go?
2: I don't know. It
0: disappeared. <laughs> We're talking about the co-chair between yes. Etihad and, and Avianca. <laughs> Thank you. And that's Thank got you. nothing to do with Nairobi, to be perfectly honest. Okay, all right. <laughs> but if you uh, want to enough. talk about Nairobi, <laughs> British Airways has increased their capacity in Nairobi. Carry on, Al. On. British Airways has announced that it will increase capacity by seven hundred and eighty-four seats a week on flights between London and Nairobi, which isn't in. Columbia, Columbia. (laughs) (laughs) for summer 2016 through the introduction of a Boeing 747-400 on the route. The airline has taken the decision due to growing sales and an increased demand for Kenya that it is seeing in the UK. The 747s will operate during the peak four-month travel period to Kenya from the 1st of July to October 29th, introducing a total of 11,200 seats into Nairobi this summer. From October 30th, the airline plans to, di- uh, sorry, to revert to its original Boeing 777 or 777 on the route. Edward Frost, British Airways commercial manager for South and East Africa, said, We've always said that we, would, that we would add capacity if the opportunity arose. It has, and we've seized it. The additional capacity and the fact that we offer an overnight schedule should be good news for leisure and business travellers alike. Morning arrivals into London mean that you don't waste any time on your holiday and business trip. The schedule also allows for convenient transfer times to onward flights, particularly to North America or Colombia.
1: Who's got the rickets? <laughs> Who's must. got the rickets player there? Come on. The child, the child, has it. And <laughs> we've got a child on the show think, now. Think, Hello, me. <laughs> oh,
2: no. It's descended into chaos, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. I've, I've officially, as producer of this show, I've officially lost control, ladies and gentlemen. I've officially lost control. <laughs> Getting back to a
1: aviation related theme, guys.
2: Well, Am you I- started it. By- it's right, all right, all right.
1: That was
0: completely irrelevant to the story.
1: Oh, dear. Right, okay. Right, so. No, no. Shh, 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 shh. shh. I need to lie down in a darkened room. <sighs> and breathe. All right. No. Am I. <laughs> Matt, I'm going to turn your microphone okay, off in a I'm moment. This sorry, is a serious man. show, and just, oh, it's just it's just, just disintegrated now. <laughs> right. So anyway, talking on a serious note, am I right in thinking that BA are retire, have retired some more of their 74s, or thinking of retiring some more of their 7 747s? Seven because I think I read a story earlier this week that BA had um, possibly looking to retire two more of their 747s seven from the fleet.
0: Well, I hate to say this, oh, but I was under the impression that they've decided to unretire them and refit them. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think um, that, that there was a, uh, a plan to, to retire some of their 7.4s. Um, and then, uh, with the sort of uh, cost of oil coming down quite rapidly uh, last year and a little bit of a, an economic upturn. Uh, I believe that they've now decided to do a cabin refurb on on some of those that they were going to retire, and uh, yep, they're uh, they're going back into service. Which is and what that,
1: Acme, uh, well, which is what uh, sorry, which is what Virgin done, isn't it? A few yeah, years back, right. they yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ref- I was going to say ref- we covered a
2: story um, not that long mm. ago about it. Yeah,
1: they refit the cabins on their seven fours, which um, which I, I don't think they would have. They, they had done on. the one that I flew out with a few uh, in February. We still had the old uh, business class seats on on in that. Oh right! <laughs> Love the picture there of Al. <laughs> I do hope you, for everyone who is in the uh, chat room watching us on YouTube, I do hope you're enjoying these photographs of uh, of Captain Al.
2: I'm sorry. That's why I've got. I, that's why I keep laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. So I'm not being very professional. I'm heavily medicated, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so next story must be me. Yeah. 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 Let's be serious here. I'm Honestly. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's like an
1: episode of The in Inbetweeners here. Hey. Right. So, uh, ne- well, the. Next All wearing story. trousers
2: for a start. I know.
1: <laughs> Breaking news travel site then uh, for the next story. EasyJet launches winter 2006 schedule. Blimey, we're not even in summer yet. 20, 2016. 2016, yeah, yeah, we're not even in the summertime yet. That's EasyJet uh, has put its winter 2016 flights on sale, allowing travellers to book flights across Europe for departure until February the 5th, 2017. Over 110,000 flights are set to take place across EasyJet's network between October the 30th this year and February 2017, providing more than 18 million seats. Of these, more than 10 million seats are now on sale to and from the UK on 62,000 flights. Sophie Deeks, uh, Daker's EasyJet's uh, UK director, said that we are really pleased to be putting our flights for winter 2006 on sale passengers can look forward to even more low fares across Europe um, for the best beach, city and ski destinations. For those who are looking for inspiration on where to go for their break, um, there's also an app as well, the EasyJet app, uh, which is available as well, which... uh, People can find out where the flights are, which are tailored to their budgets and travel dates. EasyJet has uh, bases across 11 UK airports and flies to more than 800 uh, routes on its network across Europe, the Middle East and North Africa. So there we go. For those of you who are wanting to go and book some winter sun mm. flights, uh, you can go and book your low cost flights with EasyJet.
2: Actually, I was going to ask um, the, the pilots in, in, in the chat room, if that's okay, uh, Not in the chat room, in, in, who, who, in, who, who, who are on the show. Who are on sorry. the show. Yeah. Um, one of my friends uh, was under the impression that he was going to actually be able to fly out to Egypt later this year. Now I I know I sort of queried I queried I have queried that with him but what, I just what's wondered,
1: yeah what is the deal with Royal Jet? We're we're in Egypt. You, you are. are.
2: Oh, no no where where where, where is he? It's Sharm. Oh right Sharm. As far as I'm away yeah sham. Okay.
0: Um, well here is the the, the situation at present. Um, there are no issues of flying into uh Aghada, Luxor, Cairo, Alexandria as uh, as of today. Right. As of today, um, but Charm hopefully. remains well. I, 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 there was never any restrictions on on those. I, I'm just sort of uh, trying to uh, make the the information as current as I possibly of can. Yeah, no, appreciate that. So, uh, with regards to SHARM, um, what uh, is required is for the UK government to authorize flights to SHARM once they've uh, con- um, confirmed that they are satisfied with the safety and security at uh, Sharm el-Sheikh Airport, and I hasten to add, It's just the airport that uh, they are uh, assessing. And, of course, we've got a few things going on within the government at the moment, like uh, whether we're going to stay in the European Union or not. So it's probably fair to say that it's not top of the agenda. Right. And I don't think that it's going to be at the top of anyone's agenda until the EU referendum is out of the way, done, dusted. Um, because from a politician's point of view, there's uh, if we don't fly there, then there's very limited risk. If they give us the green light to start flying there, then someone's got to put their name to that green light. and We know that politicians don't really like to make a big decision if they can avoid it.
2: Not when we're so close to an election. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: um, with reference to your friend, uh, when is he anticipating going to Sharm el-Sheikh? Really, I'm,
2: I'm, he, he I'm, I'm sure he said sort of towards the end of the year, so uh, I think it was yeah, sort of September time. That, yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, the honest answer is the airlines don't know when the green light is going to be given for resuming flights right. to Sharm okay. So, and It's not in particularly any one airline. All of the UK airlines come under the mm-hmm. jurisdiction of the UK government It may be that, as you sort of observe things, different airlines will cancel up until different dates. That doesn't mean that anyone's going to get the upper hand and be able to go first. Um, It's just that, obviously, uh, there was a plan to fly to Sharm El Sheikh, and therefore the aeroplanes have to be reutilised. And the longer it goes on, the more they'll be reutilised elsewhere. And it's not necessarily going to be as simple as just going... Uh, Right, well, we've got the relight, so we'll start the service tomorrow. Right, yeah, okay.
2: So, yeah, I mean, but they they appear to be selling the flights. That was more what what surprised me, if you see what I mean.
0: I I do, but um, at the end of the day the airlines want to resume the service as soon as possible if there's a market there. And the only way to know if the market remains
2: of course, is to, is to make outside. the tickets available. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, no, that makes perfect sense. is yeah. uh, in the chat room. She's put, uh, is airport security supposed to be so different in other Egypt airports other than Sharm el-Sheikh?
0: Um, the answer to that is yes, as far as I'm aware. Um, the security presence in Haggadah has always been noticeably more so than and certainly is now um and uh i've not been to cairo for many years but i would imagine that uh, uh with the number of international airlines flying into cairo uh, the security is very tight there um security varies uh, greatly from airport to airport um, right. so it's no great surprise that it varies greatly from airport to airport in egypt as well
2: Well, I appreciate that. I shall make sure that uh, my friend listens to that, and he can make his own decision. Then, can't he? But uh, for for what
3: it's worth, we're we're still going to uh, Egypt. But um, you know, if you pay us enough money, we'll go anywhere. So it doesn't say much. No, but you
1: you fly for safe jets. That's fine. You're always safe, Pip. Always. Yeah. And
3: and if I remember rightly, Pip, you
0: don't come under the jurisdiction of the UK government either, do you?
3: No, no. R A O C is in Portugal. Yeah. Ah. Ah, right, okay. Mm.
2: And why would you just excuse the layman here? Why does that make a difference?
3: Well, we we're, we're safe jets although we're a UK registered company, our head office is in London. The AOC and all the aircraft we operate are registered in and regulated by the Portuguese uh, CAA, oh, ANA, that's okay. cool. what they're called. Airline so, operator uh,
2: certificate. Okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah, okay. so we we do what the the Portuguese authorities tell us and as far as I'm aware. They've not said or placed any restrictions on on us going to Egypt. Uh, We have an internal security department which which analyzes every airport. And each airport's given a a security grading a color Um, Mm. off the top of my head. I don't know what security grading the Egyptian airports have had. They may be airports that we're only allowed to fly into and not lay over in. So we can't stay overnight. We have to fly back again that same day. Okay. Uh, that may be the case for Sharm, I'm not sure. Cairo, off the top of my head, I don't know. It's been a little while since I've been there. But I think certainly in some capacity or other, we're still flying there.
1: Cool. Uh, uh, Al, as a commercial pilot, just as a matter of while we're on the subject this, as a commercial pilot, do, do you, you know, have, obviously you have the security that's at the airport, at the destination where you are. But, um, I mean, is there any kind of security issues that, that you have as a pilot that you have to make sure are in place before you you know, before you take off and fly away?
0: Uh, yeah, there are various uh, security measures that the uh, travelling public uh, wouldn't see because it takes place before they board the aircraft, mm. uh, which I'm sure you can appreciate. I can't go into any oh, yeah. great yeah, detail. Cool, yeah. no, um, but, yes, there are there are lots of things that uh, that take place behind the scenes to, to ensure uh, the safety and security of, uh, of the travelling passengers. And... It may come as a surprise to to some of the listeners, but um, as a as a pilot, I'm subject to exactly the same uh, screening when I go from landside to air side as a passenger. So I'm restricted to the uh, quantities of liquids, gels, and pastes uh, that you as a passenger are. Which means that if I uh, uh, buy a uh, you know a Big Mac. Uh, meal in McDonald's before going through security. I've got to drink my Coca Cola before I go through security. Right. Um, right. And Yeah, but you put a padlock on the chicken nuggets and no one else can get them. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to be fair, my, my, my sort of standard lunch is a large Big Mac meal minus pickle, large Coke, and 20 chicken nuggets with sweet and sour sauce. And you
2: know, That's um, like a very hearty meal. <laughs> but
0: it, it, uh, it does mean that we are um, uh, restricted to being able to buy, um, you know, things like bottled water or uh, Coca-Cola or whatever at airside at the uh, grossly inflated prices.
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, one
3: of the- just one- out of interest, Al, are you um, at liberty to take stock from the aircraft for your personal use, so water, sandwiches, all that kind of thing?
0: Um, Royal Jet provide us with uh, bottled water to drink and uh, tea and coffee. Um, we're obviously provided crew food. Um, but no, if, if I was to start to uh, uh, shuffle my way through the bar and help myself to uh, gin and tonic, that would uh, that would be a, a serious offence as far as Royal Jet are concerned. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, primarily because uh, Royal Jet don't own uh, the bars on board the aircraft.
2: Oh, I see. Right. So oh. you... you, you... It's not open they're, to their winner spoons.
0: We franchise out the ability to sell products on board. Right. Oh, right. Okay. OK. Yeah, I see. Well, sorry, as, as a lot idea. of uh, airlines uh, do, actually. Sorry, but.
3: Yeah, it saves a whole heap of hassle. We had a run in with HMRC a couple of years back where we had to start accounting for all the alcohol we were bringing in and taking out of the UK. Uh, which was an absolute nightmare. They had to come up with some computerized system which automatically tracked how much alcohol was on board the aircraft when it came in and how much was on board when it went out. So, you know, we've got, I don't know, what, hundreds of miniature bottles of whiskeys and and things, and it was for a while an absolute nightmare to keep on on top of because HMRC were insisting, for God knows what reason, but insisting that we account for every last drop of it. So if you can contract it out to someone else, that's...
2: um, Make it someone else's problem, essentially. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, it is and it isn't, because as the airline, we still have the legal responsibility to HMRC, uh, which is why, if you've ever um, uh, wondered uh, why some airlines, when they offer complimentary drinks, still run them through the computer, um, it's for that very reason, to account as to what you had at the start
3: of the flight and what you have at the end of the flight for customs, excise and revenue. And HMRC for the non-UK listeners is Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs people.
1: Uh, as a matter of interest, actually thinking about uh, being a passenger and you two guys being the pilots, um, how, how do you guys get on? I take it the duty-free stuff and that is the same. You know, you can, you can purchase your duty-free spirits and stuff and, and bring them home just like we can as a passenger.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, same limits, of course. Um so uh, we, we don't get any special treatment. Um so yep, uh yep, it's uh, uh I, I don't smoke and I don't particularly drink Good very man. much, so it's it's wasted on me. But uh, yeah. Um my wife is always grateful if I pop into the uh, staff duty free shop in <laughs> Las Palmas, and go and get some perfume for her because they do a good deal there for crew. But I, with regards to cigarettes and alcohol, um, yeah, we're, we're entitled to the same allowances.
2: Well, I, I suppose the only thing you could say is, of course, you guys are flying into and out of airports and different borders more regularly. So I suppose, in you know, by sheer definition, you have more access to duty free than, than you or I who just go on holiday. Back. I was to say that they must have very happy wives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I must say, as a, as a personal rule, I would never be seen in uniform carrying a bottle of, of anything, whiskey alcohol right. yeah. um, it's just, you know, there'll be some wise ass who will report you to the police or something, so personal yeah. rule, right. I'll never so, drink or, or so carry alcohol in any, on uniform
2: anything in a brown paper bag is frowned upon then
3: yeah, I just shove it in my inside pocket. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I expect a uh, um, bit. Like most
3: pilots, he has very deep pockets. Well, uh,
1: hey.
3: <laughs> well not as deep as Carlos, as apparently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Moving on then to the next story, which is all yours, Pip.
3: <laughs> right now, listen. Did we figure out where Nairobi was? No, we didn't. Colombia. Right, right <laughs> let's move on. Nairobi, <laughs> Colombia. <laughs> this story is from Flight Global. It says. HiFly supplies A340 for commercial zero-gravity flights. Ooh, that sounds fun. Portuguese carrier HiFly is to provide an Airbus A340-300 for zero-gravity flights under cooperation agreement with the commercial space firm Swiss Space Systems. Uh, The aircraft, Nine Hotel Tango Quebec, Mike, is a 21-year-old airframe powered by CFM International CFM56 engines originally delivered to Singapore Airlines. Swiss Space Systems says it has completed the acquisition of the aircraft as it prepares to start conducting commercial zero-g flights in 2016-17. The aircraft will be able to accommodate 70 passengers, and flights will typically involve 15 parabolic cycles, each giving 20 to 25 second periods of weightlessness over wow. a 90 minute duration. Highfly will provide operational and regulatory support to Swiss Space Systems. Uh, I think you get the gist of the story. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't I it? I know. And, so and, it does.
1: and this will make Al happy of uh, Highfly are an all-Airbus fleet. They've got 321s, 330s, and 340s.
3: What a fantastic airline. <laughs> 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 yeah, I must admit, I'd never heard of them. Hi yeah, Highfly
1: Hi have been going since 2006. Their base is at Lisbon Airport and they've got 11 aircraft in their fleet like i said they've got the uh, 21s 320s 330s and 340s
3: mm. Now, this is interesting maybe uh, i didn't pick up on it here but is this something that's available um, you know to every day bods on the street like you and i or is this for specialist astronaut training and i think this things is like yeah
1: i've got a feeling this is the zero gravity thing is something they offer to anyone i think it's i don't think it's cheap it's not a, a cheap sort of uh, thing to do for the day, but I th- it is something that's offered to anyone. I think you can go on board with the, with the various checks, medical checks and stuff before you go and, uh, and try having a sort of zero-G flight, which would be pretty awesome. I'd love to try that.
3: Cool, yeah. Mm. Do you remember there was a, a music video very recently uh, which they filmed in one of these zero-G things? It was some sort of very elaborate um, choreographed dance in a Zero-G really? aircraft. Do you know the one I'm talking about? They talked about it on APG recently. Uh, no, I don't. know, You didn't see that? No, that was I was a really in Columbia at the time. I missed it. <laughs> right, God. living it up in Nairobi, yeah. Oh,
0: well, they do. reckon
3: that they filmed that whole uh, video sequence. It's like a three-minute music video. They reckon they filmed it all in one go. But I thought, and as it says here, that the maximum you can get out of each of these parabolic manoeuvres is about you know, 20, 30 seconds
1: at the most. That must have been one heck of a flight, then, to have yeah. a whole music video done with that. Um...
0: It must have been a nightmare to edit the pop video for that.
1: Yeah, Matt probably done that. He's good at things like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure
3: someone in the chat room will, uh, offer, I think they've already said it, OK Go is the name of the band. That's have it, you OK Dr. Go,
1: yeah. they Actually, OK Go were the guys that done that, uh, that awesome music video with the treadmills. Oh, yeah, no, that was amazing, that yeah.
2: was, Yeah, yeah. That's not like Peter Kay. No, 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 no. There's another one where they've got um, four. Oh, you've of, got you've
1: got a goo. If you go on YouTube, yeah. Al, you've got a goo. I'll tell you what, okay, go I'll, and then trade. I'll find
2: it in the break. I'll find it in the break because <laughs> we can play thirty seconds of it legally. So oh, okay. we'll, we'll find All it for right, you okay. and we'll play it for you in the break. All right.
1: So moving on, the next story. Let's get this news segment done. Where we'll, <laughs> we're never going to get a chance to do anything. So next story for Captain Al.
0: Here we go then. Uh, this is, comes from the uh, Flight Global. Uh, website just for you, this morning. Um, sorry, sorry. What was that, Mister? I Al? said this
1: is just for you. Airbus storyline.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling that they've kind of been pre-planned this way. Uh, Airbus A320neo launch operator Lufthansa has operated the re-engines variant's first revenue flight outside of Germany on 12th of April. The Star Alliance carrier deployed its second A320neo registration Delta Alpha india november bravo for a service from frankfurt to london Heathrow. lufthansa says the flight was a one-off intended to familiarize the airport operator with the aircraft and the airline will continue using its 320 neos for domestic german flights for now because the pratt and whitney pw1100g geared turbofans have extended warm-up times the airline indicates that it's considering similar familiarization flights to other European cities. Its third A320neo is to be delivered during the summer, and Lufthansa is scheduled to receive a total of five A320s. Now, that's an interesting one, because I didn't know that the 320 neo um, is going to have extended warm-up times. Now, currently, uh, on Wildjets 320 fleet uh, we have a three minute warm-up time for the cfm 56 and a five minute warm-up time for the 20 v2500 engines and these are basically uh, the time that it takes for the engine temperatures to stabilize and for all of the oil to have nicely warmed up uh that's but,
3: interesting out is that a time limit or you have to wait for a certain oil temperature or, or it's, some it's other temperature? a time
0: limit it's also to allow things like the breather seals to properly operate so that you don't get um hot oil fumes coming into the bleed air system and things like that so no it's uh it's it's a time thing rather than a temperature thing.
3: Uh, we, I mean, we have similar things, but it's based on actual temperatures. We have to wait for a minimum oil temperature, for for instance. Yeah, for instance, we, we wait time period.
0: Yeah, the the airplane will tell you if uh, if it has low oil temperature. you will get a, an ECAM caution for low oil temperature. Um, but the that will always, uh, in my experience, clear uh, well before the the time limit
1: engine gas temperatures egt ah right
2: okay yeah <laughs>
1: you have to admit though Al, those engines look huge on that uh, the picture that we've got on file there the 320 their neo they just look massive on that on the 320 those new engines
0: they, they do it's um it's going to be interesting to see one uh in the flesh as it were obviously uh uh, I'm not planning to go to Germany anytime soon, so it's going to be a little while before I get to see one. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it actually looks uh, face-to-face and see whether they, they look ungainly on a very pretty aeroplane or not.
1: Is this is this going to make the, uh, just as a matter of interest, Al, do you think this is going to make the, the 320neo a bit like the 75, you know, like really, really highly overpowered?
0: Um, I don't think it's going to have too much of an effect on on its thrust output i think primarily it's down to reducing the amount of fuel that the engine uh, consumes that's the 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 driving goal is uh, to reduce uh, fuel consumption um, emissions we're obviously very aware of our carbon footprint these days and also our noise footprint so I haven't looked at the stats, to be perfectly honest, to see if there's going to be any more grunt out of these engines, um, but they certainly will uh, burn less fuel.
1: According to the uh, website, it's about £35,000 of thrust per engine.
0: Okay, Um I can't think off the top of my head how much thrust uh, a CFM56 on a 320 produces at the moment. It's, uh, it's one of those kind of G whiz figures that you either know or you don't, and it's not really important. It's, <laughs> it's like a, like the the sort of CC of your car. It's not really that relevant. You're more interested in the to 60 time,
2: aren't you? Well, that's, no, that is true. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely true. So moving on
1: to the last story then, and uh, this one is mine, I think. Yes, it is mine. Is, it, it? Last is story. it? Oh, you're going to have a go, it's are mine? you? It's mine. How nice. So uh, the uh, last story then on Flight Global site, and uh, it's a bit of a picture story as well. A bit of an iconic picture, actually, come up on the screen in a the, in the moment. Uh, the headline, Pan Am's rise and fall after launching the 747. So the story then, when uh, Pan Am played its pivotal role in the creation of the 747, it was uh, arguably one of the world's most powerful airlines, headed by one of the most dynamic and influential leaders of the airline industry uh, first uh, industry's first century. Uh, in October 1955, uh, a decade before he brought the world to the 747, TWA had uh, fired America into the jet age when Pan Am placed launch orders for 45 of the Boeing 707s and Douglas DC-8s. And the New York headquartered airline was still at the top of the tree in January 1970 when it inaugurated the jumbo jet services on the routes between New York and London. By then TWA had uh, retired from Pan Am handling uh, over the or handing over the reins in 1968 at the age of 68, after being chief executive of the airline that he founded for more than 40 years. The Yale graduate and student of aviation at MIT and the Pensacola Naval Air Station became Pan Am president in 1927, aged just 27. The airline's journey to global success all began when the exclusive mail contract from President Machado of Cuba for the route between Key West and Havana. Tropez 747 creation accomplished Boeing President Bill Allen also moved on in 1968 after almost a quarter of a century leading the U.S. manufacturer when he became chairman. Allen died in October 1985, four years after Trippet. Uh, at the time of the 747's introduction Pan Am's uh, fleet just totaled approximately 160 aircraft and during the first decade of jumbo operations a number of aircraft declined as the airline shifted from all narrow body uh, portfolio to one that predominantly comprised of wide body jets during that time Pan Am continued its uh, close ac- uh, association with the airline it created both in the good times and in the bad in September 1973 the airline placed the first order for the 737SP, or Special Performance. The SP was a short fuselage, ultra long range 747 derivative designed to counter the big trijets developed by Lockheed and McDonnell Douglas. Brr, keep away from the TriStar. <laughs> Unfortunately, despite offering the impressive city pair route capabilities, the aircraft proved a little too niche, and sales only reached 75. Pan Am debuted the 747SP in March 1976, a great year, but uh, a year later it had the misfortune to be involved in what remains the world's worst air accident when two 747s, uh, the other operated by KLM, collided on the ground at Tenerife, killing 583 people. Another of the airline's 747s was the target of a terrorist attack 12 years later when the bomb down Pan Am Flight 103 en route to London to New York in December 1988. But uh, as the graphic images uh, emerged of Jum- the Jumbo's severed nose lying on the Scottish hillside, the powerhouse that had led the march of international air transport was a shadow of its former self, having been a victim of the dynamic of US uh, airline deregulation a decade earlier. Crippled by the lack of a domestic network, Pan Am uh, purchased National Airlines in January 1980, which delivered a substantial U.S. route system, but the influx of national aircraft caused the fleet to balloon and introduced equipment incompatibility, in which proved to be a difficult marriage and losses quickly mounted. Five years after the uh, national merger, Pan Am's Pacific Division of both routes and fleet was sold to rival United Airlines for $750 million and by January 1987 the whole business was up for sale. In January uh, 1991 it filed for Chapter 11 protection and during the course of the year most of the rest of the business was sold off to United and Delta and on the 4th of December 1991 when Pan Am folded it still had 17 747s in the fleet as a momentous and inspirational and sometimes tragic story of one of the world's greatest airlines finally ended. So there we are, a little story about Pan Am for the last news story for you. And a picture there, if Matt can pop that on the screen, of one of the uh, 747 SPs. There's still a lot of these flying in the the skies now. These are mostly used um, by kind of um, private uh, firms. I think uh, they, they did have um, some of these in, in Vegas. I think the Las Vegas Sands Corporation, I think they've still got either one or two of their 7.4 uh, SPs um, at McCarran Airport there. But no, uh, fantastic airline, Pan Am. It's just a shame that uh, they're no longer here. But they have got a flight school, I think, haven't they, Pan Am? I think, I'm sure they've got a flight school. Am I right in thinking? Anyone? In the States? In the States. Uh,
3: yeah, you might be right. Yeah. down in Miami somewhere th- in Florida rather I think. Hmm. Next to Nairobi.
1: <laughs> 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 and that brings the commercial news segment to a close. <laughs> 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 so what have we got coming up then, Matt?
2: Uh, I, I can you barely know, I, speak. I, I, <laughs> no, we have no idea. Uh, we right, still, still to come, ladies and gentlemen. We have a military segment. Uh, we've got some photos and a little bit of video that Carlos took uh, when he was up at the local flying school a little while ago. We alluded to it. We've got uh, a segment yeah. from Pip. We've got a segment from Pip. Some voice uh, feedback. Some voice feedback, and uh, and obviously, um, well, we, we've got two guests that we we probably ought to talk to as well. So, well, <laughs> man, give them a few minutes, I suppose. Give a few minutes of airtime. So uh, yes. Uh, anyway. we've uh, With that all in mind, we're just going to take a very quick break while we all recharge our glasses. So we'll be right back after these short messages.
1: Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
2: The
5: VoicesInYourHead.com
2: website www.plaintalkinguk.com,
3: or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash uk on twitter via at uk or get in touch via email on podcasts at plaintalkinguk.com. thanks,
2: thanks for, for listening.
1: listening and we're back well, I hope we're all back anyway. I'm sure that, sure our two guests are still with us somewhere. I dare say they're there somewhere. <laughs> so we are going to play uh, Pilot Pip's uh, safety from the flight deck segment next. I know he's here as a guest anyway, but we're going to play it out, and uh, it will give us a chance to refresh our Earl Grey mugs. Yes, and uh, give our guests chances to uh, go and check their millions in their bank accounts. God,
2: God, oh my goodness! Me. <laughs> why would you even tug at that thread? Oh, I no. know. <laughs> we'll be right back after. Well, what's it about this week, Pip? Hello, hello, Pip.
3: <laughs> are you you hear sorry? me? Oh, sorry, I have myself muted. No. It's, are you sure you want to play it? Yes, have we, we do. Oh, yeah. you could save it for another. No, week.
2: no, 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 no we're we'll
5: no,
1: playing no, today. No, no, no. Okay. it keeps you busy. It's yeah?
3: about um, why swept wing wings. Go faster than non-swept-wing wings.
5: Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip.
3: Hello everyone in plane-talking UK land. It's Pip here. Coming at you live this morning from the Crown Plaza Hotel in the beautiful city of Chester in uh, North England. I was lucky enough to last night meet up with uh, my friend Captain Owl. He was good enough to come and meet me from the hotel, take me out for a nice curry at a local curry house. But he's a very naughty boy, that Captain Al. He gave me a special drink. He said it was an energy drink. Good for building up energy for the marathon next week. But I think actually it was beer. And I shouldn't be drinking beer. Dr. Steph will be mad. So naughty, naughty, Captain Al. Luckily, though, I'm not flying this morning. But it does give me some time to... Record a little segment for the guys for today's show. Now, those of you who follow me on Twitter will have seen yesterday I posted a picture, a guest the aircraft picture. And the giveaway was the very straight wing. It was a jet aircraft with a very straight wing. And actually it was a a Citation XL, I think it was, a, a small business jet. And I commented that those straight wings mean that the aircraft flies really slowly. And I thought, well, why is that? Perhaps you'd like to know. Why do straight-wing aircraft fly slower than swept-wing aircraft? So that's what we're talking about today. What are the advantages of a swept-wing aircraft? Why do straight wings not go as fast? And it's all a bit technical. You can really start to get into the aerodynamics here. But it's basically got something to do with the airflow velocity vector, the way that the air travels across the surface of a wing. So imagine this, you're flying along in an aircraft with a straight wing, a non-swept wing, a straight wing, Okay, it doesn't matter what aircraft, but you're flying along and you're accelerating faster and faster. Now picture the air going over that wing, that curved surface of the wing. The air as it flows across the top surface of the wing is actually travelling faster than the aircraft is. That air is being accelerated over the top edge of the wing, that's how we produce lift. Accelerating air equals lower pressure equals the wing gets sucked up so that air is accelerating over the top of the wing and as you're going faster and faster as it accelerates more and more it will reach a point called the critical mark number or mcrit and that's the point at which the air is accelerated so much it actually goes supersonic it reaches a supersonic speed and at that point it will become very turbulent the air will break down and it will decelerate again it will go subsonic across the rest of the wing the, the back surface of the wing and that produces a shock wave at that point the air goes supersonic and then it goes very turbulent. It may even detach from the aircraft. A lot of drag and the aircraft will lose lift and won't be able to fly. The, the wing won't be flying at that point. And that's the critical mark number. And on a straight winged aircraft or a straight wing, that point at which the airflow becomes supersonic might actually be at quite a low aircraft velocity. So maybe that's not very clear. So let's say the aircraft itself was travelling through the air at mark point point. 65, for instance, but the air over the wing, over the top edge of the wing, has been accelerated, and whilst the aircraft's going at 0.65, the airflow over the top of the wing is reaching mark point 0.1 supersonic. Now, we can get around that problem on a swept-wing aircraft by delaying the supersonic flow and raising the critical mark number. Now the swept wing will still suffer from those same problems at some point, but effectively what we're doing is tricking the wing into thinking it's flying slower than it actually is. Now the reason for this, as I say, is a little bit complicated, and you can start to get a bit bogged down in the aerodynamics here, but it's basically all to do with something called uh, an airflow velocity vector. So on a swept wing we're basically creating two portions of airflow across the wing, the one that's being accelerated is something called the chordwise flow and that's perpendicular to the leading edge of the wing so it's at 90 degrees to the leading edge of the wing and that's the part that's being accelerated now since that's chordwise flow the distance across the wing is actually shorter than the total distance from the leading edge to the trailing edge so only part of the air is being accelerated which means you can fly faster before you hit your critical mark number and at the same time, you're also creating a spanwise flow of air. So that's across the leading edge from the wing root out towards the wing tip. And that all stacks up and has the effect of making the wing tip think that it's flying slower than it actually is. So, And this is part of the design of a swept wing that the wing tip will stall first. So the effect of all of this is that the swept wing is able to fly faster through the air because it thinks it's actually going slower when compared to uh, its straight wing counterparts. But this high-speed flight ability does have some disadvantages, particularly with regards to lift capability. And generally speaking, a swept wing is less efficient at producing lift than a straight wing, particularly at lower speeds. So at takeoff and at landing, there's critical phases of flight when we need lift, but a swept wing is less able to produce lift at those points which has the effect that the stall speeds are much higher on a swept wing aircraft and we have to get around that by deploying high lift devices like leading edge slats, Kruger flaps, trailing edge flaps. It increases the wing camber, increases the wing surface and helps the, the swept wing produce more lift at slower speeds. And swept wings also suffer from something called speed instability, as the speed decreases. As the speed reduces below something called minimum drag speed, the aircraft is slowing down and actually the drag begins to increase. It gets greater and greater as the speed slows down, so you need more and more power from the engines to counteract the increasing drag. And left unchecked, that would mean that the more drag slows the aircraft down, which in turn produces even more drag. And that's why when you're sitting on your average jetliner, when you're coming into land, you've got all the flaps out. It's producing lots of lift, but it's at the wrong end. It's at the back end of the drag curve. It's very draggy. And that's why the engines are running at pretty high power on final approach. You might think for a slower speed, you need less engine power. But no, the reverse is true. To counteract all that drag at low speed on a swept wing aircraft, you need lots of engine power. And that's why when you're approaching to land, you'll notice that the engines are actually spooled up to quite a high power. So to recap, swept wings, good for high speed flight, delays the onset of the critical Mach number, the breakdown of airflow across the wing as it goes supersonic, but generally poor lifting capability compared to a straight wing. If you have a look at a straight wing on a Dash 8 or something like that, you'll notice they're generally quite fat when you look at the cross section compared to a swept wing. But very good at low speed flight, lots of lifting capability, but the airflow will break down across the top of the wing at a relatively early stage at a relatively low speed due to the airflow becoming supersonic at a much lower forward velocity. There we go. hope that you were able to follow that. Not sure if I could, to be honest. There'll be no segment from me next week, of course, because I'll be running the London Marathon. Hey, and I just want to say to all of you people who have donated this week, and there have been many of you, thank you so much. It's been absolutely tremendous. Every time I check my emails, it seems someone else has donated. So thank you all so much. But hopefully I will be joining you live next week from the marathon in some way or another. I've uh, yet to talk to Matt to figure out exactly how we're going to do that, but that's certainly the plan. So, until next week, where i hopefully be speaking to you from somewhere in the centre of beautiful London, take care and fly safe. Bye.
1: And a massive thank you, obviously, as always, to the legend that is Pilot Pip for
2: his fantastic segment. Yeah. Oh, well, and hopefully, as I say, uh, hopefully he will be uh, joining us live. That is the plan, is it not, Pip?
3: Yeah, like I say, we're going to have to figure out how that's going to work, but uh, I don't see why not.
2: Yeah, it should be fine. I, I've, I've got some ideas in my hand. Basically, it involves me ringing you on your mobile, which is probably the safest thing. We're going to have various things. UAVs in the air above you at the time. Are we? Satellite link ups. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, suddenly he's become an expert in these I things. I'm impressed. I not at all. <laughs> we better do some military news, guys. We, yeah.
0: Well, when, when Pip was talking about uh, fat or quite fat with poor lifting capability, I actually thought he was talking about an ex girlfriend of mine for a while.
2: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, really? Honestly, I'm a little frightened. I Uh, thought Nick was bad. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. He's (laughs) he's barely a pussycat in comparison. (laughs) Right, let's swiftly move
1: on with some military aviation news. So, if all our wonderful guests are ready. Oh,
2: no.
3: Ready from now on, ready? (laughs) ready.
1: (laughs) Let's go! Greetings from (laughs) Colombia. So, kicking off the first military news story this week, you are never going going to be allowed to live that day, no. No. I'm going to have to pay Al off. Anyway, Flight Global's website Boeing's optimistic KC 46 plan delivers 18 tankers in six months. So Boeing's grand plan to deliver 18 operational KC-46 Pegasus tankers in six months instead of 14 has been labelled optimistic in a new report by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, GAO setbacks encountered during testing in 2014 and 2015 have already delayed the US government's KC-46 low-rate production decision by 9 months from August 2015 to May 2016. Now the GAO reports that the 5-month operational testing phase which was due to begin in April will now start in 2017. Boeing will not be able to complete development activities until, or complete development activities until 2018, five months later than required. The congressional watchdog states in its annual appraisal of the K-46 program. The GA Aero quotes uh, government test officials who say that Boeing's drive towards 18 aircraft to meet the contractor-required assets available milestone is optimistic and carries four months of uh, scheduled risk. That's not accounting for the acknowledged troubles with boom refueling and the massive Boeing C-17 transport, which was meant to happen in January. In the Air Force, exercise its options for the production, lots, uh, lots 1 and 2. Any future delays may affect Boeing's ability to deliver all 18 operational aircraft by August two th- uh, 2017. But the risk uh, being measured in months rather than years, the report states. And it carries on, but this is another tank, obviously a tanker store we follow
2: on the show, as we do each week on here. I must, I must say, actually, Tony S. has, has pointed out, when, when, when was ever an aircraft on time or on budget? Well, is uh, which true. is which is very true, isn't it? They they seem to be uh, with any government involved operation. Always seems to be massively but they have had,
1: had, had I mean, we covered a story last week, I think, with the boom issue with yes. refueling yeah, the K forty six to the C seventeen, and yeah. it, it was yeah. you know a case of two massive aircraft, you know, refueling one another in mid yeah. air. Well, and that's probably issue. more the issue. Is so they got yeah. they've got to iron that hiccup out, haven't they? So, moving on to the next story, which is all for you, Pip.
3: Alrighty, this is from the Royal Air Force website. The combined UK and French Joint Expeditionary Force will face its biggest development test to date as more than 5,000 personnel from the two countries come to Cheddar for the first Griffin strike. The exercise will see a UK-French headquarters planning and executing major land, sea and air activity for the first time in the demonstration of the force's full validation of concept. This marks a significant milestone in the generation of a rapidly deployable force for bilateral operations ahead of any coalition action. The CJEF has been developed since 2010 as a product of the bilateral Lancaster House Treaty and will enable the UK and France to deploy forces rapidly to conflict zones ahead of a wider NATO or coalition operation or to meet uh, peacekeeping, disaster relief or humanitarian assistance requirements you got the gist of that I think
1: we
2: have got the gist of that we've <laughs> got the pictures on the screen if yeah. Matt wants to pop them yeah, up on certainly. there yeah Sorry, everyone's a little distracted by the last picture of you I just put up in <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we should play the Patreon music for that, actually. Yeah, we we while, definitely uh, the should El for Graf that photo. And... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you got it to hand? <laughs> no, not to hand, no. We should have had it ready for that picture, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, there we go.
1: Story on exercise, Griffin strikes. Some quite nice photos there as well. On yeah, there, yeah, absolutely. Story. Yeah. So moving on to the next story for you, Captain Owl.
0: Yeah, this one's about a special relationship, so I got all excited quite briefly, and uh, then it goes on to talk about aeroplanes and the military and stuff, so I got a bit dejected at that point, but nonetheless, (laughs) uh, the Royal Air Force's Typhoon Force commander has paid tribute to US Air Force personnel stationed at RAF Lakenheath as the USAF deployed Mm. 12 F-22 Raptors to the station. This must be part of the special relationship. wonder what the Eurofighters are doing with the Raptors overnight.
5: Mm.
2: Cuddling, cuddling, cuddling. That's all they do, cuddle. Family show. The
0: (laughs) F-22s from the 95th Fighter Squadron are deploying to reinforce the U.S. Global Response Force as a demonstration of U.S. commitment to European security. Speaking to USAF personnel at RAF Blakenheath as the final aircraft arrived, The Typhoon Commander, Air Commodore Ian Duguid, said the Royal Air Force and the United Kingdom are proud to welcome you here as our guests. We welcome your nation's commitment to the special relationship between our two nations. European peace cannot be taken for granted, and our shared commitment to NATO continues to deter any aggressor or would-be adversary. Your presence here is a force for good, I'm proud that our airmen and airwomen continue to stand shoulder to shoulder to defend our shared values. During their deployment to RAF Lakenheath, 95th Fighter Squadron F-22s will train alongside the US 48th Fighter Wings F-15 Eagles and RAF Typhoons. Uh, We've obviously got more than one of them. Okay, there's a plural there. (laughs) As well as visiting other NATO air forces. The F-22s are due to return to Tyndall Air Force Base, Florida in May. It's quite a short visit then.
2: I thought perhaps, as it was, um, you know, <laughs> we were mentioning special relationships, perhaps they meant Tinder, not Tindle. I, I don't well, remember.
0: yes. Swipe left or
2: swipe right, well, 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 is the story. Yes, Honestly. Family shows. On a serious <laughs> note, can I just say that
1: one of our listeners, Jonathan Warner, uh, right, uh, yes. who, who who watches and listens to the show, Jonathan Warner actually has been sort of keeping me up to date with all these arrivals. Um, <laughs> this week of uh, all the aircraft into, uh, into Lake and even there. that. Oh, right, cool. And uh, he's been sending us various uh, messages on Facebook, so thanks for that, Jonathan.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So the last story, I suppose, falls for me. It's a UAV-ish type of story. Okay. But uh, this is one for uh, Stephen Grant over in uh, in Australia. Right. So the uh, Flight Global and the site, and the RAAF Heron flies at Amberley alongside manned aircraft. The Royal Australian Air Force (RAAF) is flying its Israel Aerospace Industries Heron unmanned aerial vehicle at RAAF Amberley in Queensland, marking uh, the first time the aircraft has operated alongside manned military aircraft at one of its home bases. The Heron is typically based at what? Oh, got to pronounce this now. <laughs> Wamera. Sorry for our Australian listeners if I pronounce that wrong, but Wamera Test Range where it carries out training sorties, but for a short period it's operating from Ambley alongside the 24 Boeing fa 18 f Super Hornets from the services 1st and 6th squadrons. For two weeks the Heron is taking off from RAAF Ambley and transiting through military airspace alongside other aircraft, the Air Force says. In 2015 the RAAF and Air Services Australia signed a memorandum of agreement to fly the Heron in civilian airspace for the first time with the milestone taking place on the 24th of June of that year at Rockhampton Airport. Australia operated the Heron in support of operations in Afghanistan, during which it gained some uh, 27,000 hours of operational experience. The last Heron flight in support of the nation's Operation Slipper took place from Kandahar Airfield on the 30th of November 2014. Canberra is looking uh, to require a new fleet of unarmed or un, of armed medium altitude, long endurance UAVs. Although a procurement program has yet to be launched. Now I know that uh, Pip has got uh, one of these UAVs. He's got, I think he's got a DJI, I think. But uh, have you? Yeah, have well, you not got one. I those. thought for a minute I was going
5: to
1: say you had one. Not of Not one these. of those. Not one Sorry. of those. <laughs> <laughs> but have, have you uh, dabbled
0: in the uh, UAV um, areas, uh, Al? Um. No, I haven't actually. Um, and I, I, I'm surprised, really, because I, I quite like my gadgets and toys and things. And um, uh, it would be quite nice to annoy the neighbours as well. But um, uh, no, I, I, I don't know quite what's happened. I used to have a, a remote controlled or radio controlled aeroplane some years ago with one of those little uh, petrol engines, which was quite good fun oh, until yeah, it crashed.
2: I had one of those. They were amazing fun.
0: Yeah um but no um i was kind of like thinking of getting one for christmas so That's
2: uh watch this space yay yeah yeah I, I i've got i've got one of those little the little helicopters the tiny little ones and i am a, uh, you got it for me didn't yes, you yeah. i'm absolutely useless i'd uh,
0: give it a try but um, yeah I, I i don't have strange as this <laughs> may seem um I don't have particularly good coordination with these the sort of things. I don't think in three dimensions. So if it's one of those things where you have to visualise that you're on it as to how to manoeuvre it, I'd probably be fairly
2: poor at it, to be honest. So
3: Well, come down my way, i and I'll show you how to do it, because I'm probably much fetter at it than you are.
2: <laughs> oh, OK. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, modest, as always. Have <laughs> you have you, uh, have you had
1: your, your UAV out lately, uh, Pip? Your, um,
3: deep... <laughs> I, I beg your pardon. i am I'm said UAV.
2: <laughs> I said UAV. Oh, it's all gone horribly wrong.
3: <laughs> no, I haven't actually. It's, um, God, I can't remember the last time I, uh, whipped it out. It's been. <laughs> Statin tablet <laughs> for at least a year. The wife won't uh, let me get
2: it out. No, indeed. No, and quite right, you. I don't blame. Her. We need it. That's <laughs> what she said. I'm surprised. Have actually. you got a gyrating copter? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, uh, gentlemen. I'd like to remind you this is a family show, ladies and gentlemen. a oh, family yeah. show. Uh,
0: actually,
3: no. Pip, is, is yours a gyrocopter or is it? Uh, no, Pip's
1: got a
2: posh one.
3: No, it's um, one of the quadcopters, a, a DJI. Yeah, that's what I, that's Phantom. what I meant. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've not used. It. I have been toying with the idea again recently of uh, of upgrading. I think I've spoken to you guys before about it. I've yeah. had this idea in the back of my head for a long time about starting up a little uh, sort of part time business doing aerial imagery and photography. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, but it will need a bit of investment to make it work.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, these these GoPros and everything are so much smaller than they used to be, mm. but I mean, they're still quite heavy for for something like that to take up in the air, aren't they? You need quite a big one.
1: I don't to know, get I think the, the one that, I think the DJIs and that, that, that <laughs> like Pip Scott
2: can carry those cameras quite well. Right, mm.
1: most of yeah,
3: the little GoPros are okay. I mean, they only weigh a few ounces. Yeah,
2: no, that's true. That's true. But, but I, mean, I mean, you can get some stunning. The only thing is, you can't you can't change the image, can you? You can't sort of um, sort of tilt it up or down, I suppose. I suppose if it's
3: streaming to, your, think to your Wi-Fi, I yeah, yeah, the
1: really expensive DJI Phantom 4, I think, has the gimbal that you can actually control the gimbal. Oh, right. yeah. Not yeah. even the really
3: expensive one. I bought just off uh, eBay or Amazon a cheap Chinese gimbal. It costs, I can't remember, not much, a few tens of pounds. And yeah. It's a marvellous bit of kit. It swivels and it uh, remains perfectly level. You can tilt it up and down, you know, via radio control. Wow. wow. It's quite it's, uh, quite snazzy.
2: It sounds, it sounds like an awful lot of fun. I, I really do need to get one of those, actually. I've got to I'd
0: just be really disappointed spending all that money and then crashing
3: it in five minutes. I mean, it's, or is that half the fun rebuilding it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, destroyed yeah. it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's e-damned annoying when that happens, Al. I'm sure it is.
2: So what's next, then, in the show, Matt? Right, yes, I think we better do some listener
1: feedback now, don't you? Yeah, we have had a couple of bits of listener feedback in this week uh one bit of audio and one uh, email as well yeah okay so well, let's do the audio we'll first. do the audio first yeah. <laughs> So we have had, uh, as we said, some audio feedback in this week, and uh, that came in from Craig Piesik, I think that's how you pronounce. Uh, okay, cool. Your son. and he also he actually done this feedback, voice feedback, whilst he was uh, in uh, in command of his aircraft on the ground. Oh, cool. Uh, which
2: was, I think, it was Assess the two hundred eight caravan, which is okay, kind of cool, or less oh, very appropriate. We'll come back to that later on. Uh, well, we'll come back to that after some feedback, but let's, uh, let's,
3: let's play let's Craig's
4: play that out. bit
2: of feedback. Okay.
4: Hey, Carlos and Matt, this is FO Craig here. I'm just sitting in a uh, Cessna caravan on the ramp in Pittsburgh waiting for the fueler to fuel up and thought I'd send in some voice feedback. Um, I was just curious um, for what I do with my company is we do EAS routes, which is, stands for Essential Air Service. And it's basically a government-funded um, set of routes that we have to fly and get passengers from smaller cities up to uh, Pittsburgh, and so that way they can uh, then go and travel elsewhere. I was just wondering if you guys had anything like that up in the UK, or uh, if you knew if anyone uh, who does that sort of thing up over your way across the pond. So my first feedback to the Plain talking uk podcast i love the show keep up the great work and i'll talk to you later cavu to you and fo craig signing off see you
2: i didn't understand half of that well <laughs> he's still learning bless him yeah. thanks for that craig thanks for yeah, sending in that feedback
1: yeah. so have we got anything similar to that in the uk i mean i got, i had done a quick google search and i couldn't find anything similar to that in the uk that we have i don't know whether you two guys know of any
0: yeah um logan air up in scotland uh some services to uh the highlands and islands and they also uh i think they still provide an air ambulance service for uh so for some of the islands that's their only link to the mainland in the event of uh, uh, sort of a medical situation oh, or, a, yeah, or, oh, yeah, a, or a birth because yeah. uh, obviously some of the islands don't have uh, anything more than a midwife no. so uh, so uh, Logan Air provide that service and I would imagine uh, that that is partly funded by the Scottish government as an essential service
3: yeah yeah for like. a long while actually it was Gamma who were, who were doing that with King Air 200 I had a, a good friend of mine was doing the, the Scottish Air Ambulance thing i think they recently lost the contract and and you're right it might be logan anna who, who does it
2: fantastic so there we
1: go thanks for that feedback again craig yeah definitely and uh, i'm glad we got alan pippa yeah here. absolutely yeah <laughs> a little, a little look bit at old. that look thanks, yeah. fantastic so, so we did have we had an email in from uh, philip davis and uh, philip's uh, sent us in a, a subject actually of airport security something we touched on earlier in the show mm. Uh, He's written, Hi Carlos and Matt, and I just wanted to bring up the subject of airport security. I don't get to walk through the front door of an airport terminal very often, Uh, last time was five years ago. Back in January, he had to go and pick up his daughter from Heathrow Airport Terminal 3, and didn't see any security at all in arrivals. And also, this past uh, week, he's also had to take his daughter's boyfriend to Gatwick South Terminal. And couldn't believe, after the recent events that we've had, uh, such as the ones in Amsterdam, how you can just walk into check-in departures and arrivals areas Mm. with no security checks. Yeah, that's true. And very little security presence on the ground. Uh, He'd be interested in everyone's opinions on this subject on the next podcast this Saturday today. Hope to join you in the chat room this week and keep up the great work, Philip Davis. So come on in, guys. What are your views on airport security in the UK?
0: Um, Flyfire off first.
1: Yeah, yeah go out. D-
0: disappeared his... Uh, um, I think one of the key things that has to be remembered is that we have, in the UK, a very good... Security service that operates in the background. Mm. And this isn't just related directly to airports and airlines, but generally, uh, you know, railway stations, shopping centers, anywhere where there are large uh, groups of people congregating. And therefore, uh, the sort of surveillance and so forth is very targeted. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I think it's probably fair to say that after the London 7-7 bombings, Mm. uh, there's been a greater emphasis on on, on targeted security. And, you know, it seems to work. So we don't necessarily need to see, you know, ranks of tanks lined up outside airports and, you know, people going through metal detectors two miles before they arrive at an airport. That's not what we want, is it? I mean, it's very, very obvious security but is that what we want as the as the general public no we don't we just want to be to be safe and i think we are demonstrating um sometimes where necessary by visual presence i mean there obviously are armed police at uh, most uk airports um yeah. but uh i think that uh, as long as the threat levels remain as they are um then i'm quite happy for it to be targeted and there are obviously a lot of people working very hard uh, in the background to make sure that uh, everywhere in the UK is safe. Uh,
2: Neville was was just saying in the chat room, actually, he said that there was uh, quite a lot of a a visible security presence at uh, London Heathrow Terminal 5 uh, last week, but uh, also lots of uh, covert ops, I would imagine, he was saying.
3: uh, It wouldn't surprise me that um, if we see in the near future more... Uh, visible security measures like that, you know, um, scanners and things at the door following what happened in Brussels the other week. And actually, if you go to various airports around the world, it's not uncommon um, to be checked, you know, to have an additional line of security before you even enter the airport. Um, You know, in some places, they're almost paranoid about it. Go to Tel Aviv, for instance, Mm. and you have to go through six, seven, eight lines of, of security Through the airport. I mean, before you're even within a mile of the airport at Ben Gurion and Tel Aviv, you've been checked two or three times. Yeah, and and their attitude over there and other places is quite different. Uh, I suppose Al's right that in the background here, there's very, uh, as you've said, targeted uh, security. In other places in the world, they're they're much more open about it. They don't make a secret that they're you know racially profiling, for instance, or, or you know picking on specific. Um, ethnic groups, if you like. I know there's a very contentious issue over here, but as as Al's said, it, it goes on in the background regardless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know the security that we see at you know passing through Heathrow or Gatwick or, or or somewhere is pretty sort of generic. It doesn't matter who you are or what you look like; you'll be subject to the same level of security.
1: I know that when we I know when we flew to the Maldives. I mean, this is back in two thousand and eleven for our honeymoon, but when we flew there through or via Dubai, our hand luggage was, was, was uh, x-rayed entering Dubai or right. Dubai, yeah. and then it was x-rayed again before they actually let us out of the airport yeah. in Mali. Really? And it was put through a scanner as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a very specific reason for that in uh, Mali-Maldives. I'm uh, surprised that you weren't told why.
1: No, no, far away, Al.
0: Okay, uh, Maldives is a uh, Islamic country. And therefore, and this will come as a a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what the best expression is, but a bit strange. Um, They don't allow you to import alcohol uh, in your hand luggage or your carry-on luggage uh, into the Maldives. So they x-ray all of your suitcases to see if you have any alcohol in there. Um, And if they have, they'll confiscate it and you can collect it when you leave the country. Um, of course, they're quite happy to sell you alcohol in the resorts. Of course, but they don't want absolutely. You
1: bringing your own in—we're all <laughs> inclusive, Al. I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but
0: that—that's yeah. the reason for uh, for X-ray screening the the bags on arrival in Marley Maldives. It's to uh, it's to to
2: purely basically screen it oh, for wow. alcohol. Yeah. Just as simple as that. Wow. So we've got a little video,
1: yes, that, uh, that I took uh, the other on Thursday, and uh, Matt's edited together for a short little tiny uh, segment for the show. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening on the audio side podcast, uh, you'll just hear the audio. But uh, yeah, well, there
2: isn't really any audio. Carlos is going to talk over the top, I'll of, talk it. Over the top of it. But if you would like to see it, if you take yourself to our YouTube page, it's youtube dot com forward slash. Plain Talking UK, and this is episode, as you well know, 108. So, uh, talk us through this thing, Carlos. After,
1: you... But after this video, we are going to grill,
2: uh, grill are, the, the two captains. Yeah, we are indeed. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So we're, we're going to run this. We're going to run this little video, then, Car- uh, Carlos. So just talk us through um, what uh, what what's sort of going on here. So what this was a couple of days ago. Yeah,
1: this was Thursday afternoon. There we go. That's the uh, the Cessna 208 Caravan that we use at our flying club for our parachuters to jump out of. Yeah, awesome bit of kit. Now this is me and my uh, my instructor Stuart. This is on the 172, on the uh, lesson I had before uh, before the flight on the caravan there wow, we go that's one, the view thing, out it? of the uh, the cockpit of the 172 there look at that lens. so this is what you're having your lesson in the 172. yeah this is the 172 i had yeah. my lesson in yet yeah, just for a change bit different to the 150 yeah and uh, you can see on the distance there our airfield right in the distance yeah. there and uh, some more shots of the lovely scenery around indeed uh, you had uh, amazing day for it yeah it's a bit it's a misty and uh, here we go this is the uh the caravan the 208 caravan now taking off from our airfield at Ella, EGSM Echo Golf Sierra Mike. There we go. You just see the airfield clubhouse to the right there, and some other. There's the grass strip of the runway there. And still, was doing a takeoff for this run. Yeah. Here. Very good. Uh, he is. Uh, he's a, you know, a certified flight instructor. Yeah, also, um, he's had his license now for quite some years. He yeah. learned to fly in South Africa. Oh wow. There we go. There's a view off out uh, towards the coast there. The it's there, so it flat isn't it. And look at that the, the I'll tell you the views at sort of 10,000 11,000 feet uh, are quite stunning you know and you've got the guys in the back ready to jump at this moment as we're climbing towards we flew up to uh, flight level 110 I, I, th- I think
2: it's worth just noting, this is the only nice day that we've had in about two weeks yeah. weather-wise here. You can just see okay. the
1: coast there, there's the coast of East Anglia and wow. the east of England where we... Uh, where so where about, is, what
2: is that sort of, Kessingland Lowestoft? Kessingland Lowestoft, yeah. yeah, that's a bit towards Southwold. OK, there's. yeah. Cool. There's some
1: stunning coastline there. It is, yeah. And here we go, and...
2: So this is inside the cockpit Inside
1: now. the cockpit there, let's do it, there's my instructor. We're just um, climbing out towards our designated high. Yeah. And here are the it guys is. jumping, <laughs> silly guys, jumping out yeah. of a perfect surface aircraft. I like, I like aircraft. how he just
2: climbs out of the side, just, just climbs onto the with side there, hanging on. Yeah. These are the guys that take the video, aren't they? Yeah, they've got the and GoPros this on. guy with a wingsuit. How cool is that? I've never seen one of these before.
1: Yeah, there's a guy with a GoPro on his head with a wingsuit. He's yeah. getting ready to jump. Watch
2: him as he falls out. This is amazing. He's like,
1: there, there he's gone. Yeah. And there we go then, and there is a shot of
2: the flight what are these panels then? We've we've got GPS
1: there on the right hand, side, the digital screen on the right hand side, GPS, sort of sat nav kind of thing, and then we've got um, uh, radio avionics on the left-hand side of that. You've got uh, the transponder below that. Oh, just gone again. There we go. See a bit closer there. You can see on the map there, EGSM Echo Golf Sierra, Mike. That's our local field here at Ella, where I'm learning to fly and uh that can show us where we are actually on the map which is quite i haven't got that on the 172 you really <laughs> have n- n- nothing digital in <laughs> nothing <laughs> at all like that on the 172 and there we are and there we are and there's a quick video then so you can sort of yeah, see what absolutely uh, see what that's what,
2: what and how did the lesson do. actually go
1: well my lesson went really well uh, yeah and um I had a three quarters of an hour in the 172 just in the pattern doing circuits uh which was nice yeah because uh, the one seven two flies just as just a tad better than the one fifty. Right. Okay. Bit more power. Uh, a bit more power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you've got two extra seats behind you, which right. is good. Which kay. is handy for when Alan Pip come down to see us. We can take them. I uh, can take them up flying, which is good. Uh, <laughs> if, they'll, if they wanna <laughs> come, If is. they want to come. If they want to come. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. And then then Stuart let me have a little bit of hands on as well with the two hundred eight flying that, and uh, it's one heck of an aircraft to fly. It's uh, stunning. Really, really nice. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah. So. Have so a good day. As you all know, we have got uh, Captain Al and uh, Pilot Pip in uh, the well, not in the the virtual studio online. Yes, and uh, we've had some questions coming in via the chat room. So we're going to start off with the first question. Then, and this one goes for both of you guys. Uh, This is from David Corston. He's asked, "Who would win in the Red Bull Air Race?" Out of you two? Oh no, Al would.
3: He uses the Red Bull to wash down the chicken nuggets. <laughs>
5: well,
0: uh, it's an interesting one because uh, obviously Pip in his uh, his machine is much more agile than me in my machine.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, I think uh, Pip would have the uh, the upper hander. I don't know what the uh, I don't know,
3: but you'll be, fast, you'll be faster on the straights.
1: I would love yeah. to see. I'd love to see the three twenty one up against. Uh, is it the Hawk isn't it Pip that you yeah. fly? Uh, in a Red Bull Air race. That would be one heck of a net Red Bull Air race. Yeah, we
0: can only do 340 knots.
3: um, Ooh, we're 335 knots. You've got five five, five knots on top of me there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, so does, that, uh, it, does that be a bit like, like when two lorries are mo- overtaking each other on the main road <laughs> yeah. where it where it sort of takes them three quarters of an hour to pass each other?
5: <laughs>
4: well, well, yeah, there's only absolutely. One we find out. Yeah, there is only right, one. Right, we'll way get
2: to. that booked
0: in for next yeah, year. OK, lovely. Yeah. Next question We're going to need uh, some big pylons, though, aren't we?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what she said. Yeah, well, that's, oh, that's what she said. Oh, no. Next question, then,
1: is for Captain Al. This is from Tony S. in the chat room. What do you miss about the A330? Uh,
0: the food. It had really nice food. <laughs>
1: <I> <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> Is that it?
0: <laughs> yeah, because we used to go to lots of nice places in it, so there was the opportunity to have lots of uh, different crew food. So we get pretty reasonable crew food um, on the on the narrow body, but when we used to go uh, on the, the long-haul destinations, there was always a an element of... Um, well lottery as to what you were going to get really um yeah yeah, there were some places where regardless of what time of day or night it was the crew food would be curry and it would just depend on whether it was the chicken curry or the fish curry don't have the fish
1: don't have the fish
0: well, I mean the we used to come out of the Maldives and it was fish curry or chicken curry and it used to be around about six in the morning. So there well, yeah, nice. you go. Just have curry for,
2: nothing, nothing for breakfast, curry
0: for lunch and funny enough curry for dinner.
2: Excellent. Um so, all right if you like curry then. By the side of
0: it. Well yeah. <laughs> um, so but no, it was the the places that it took me to rather than the aeroplane itself. The aeroplane's very nice to fly. It's uh, a very stable aeroplane, um sort of Forty knots blowing across the runway wasn't a big event in that aeroplane because it was so stable. Um, but uh, no, it was largely the places that it took me to and uh, the experiences that I had flying to parts of the world that I never had previously. Wow!
1: So a question for both of you then, and uh, this one again from Tony S. Uh, what uh, what is your most challenging approach? Pip, we'll go with you
3: first. Ooh, that's a toughie. We fly to so many different and interesting places um so all the alpine airports bring immediately to mind Sion and Samadan um Funchal in Madeira is one we we train for in the sim um that's quite interesting it can be a bit uh challenging when the wind's blowing in the the wrong direction Uh, but some of my favorite approaches I love flying on to 09 into London City at night That's just for looking out the window and and taking in the view. It's just fantastic. You come because you have to get underneath all the Heathrow traffic, which is at 3000 feet typically. So you've got to come in quite low at 2000 feet and you go across South London, across the South Bank of the Thames, very low. And then they turn you on just around the shard. And you could literally if I could open up the window, you could reach out and touch the top of the shard.
2: That must come look across
3: a... the, the, uh, the O2 and, uh, you know, all the city, the Canary Wharf and all the rest of it. All around Westminster, it's, it's that sort of thing. It must look amazing. Stunning, yeah. It really is lovely. Yeah. So Especially at favorites.
2: night. Especially at night. Do you do much uh, yeah, at night? at uh, night,
3: no, that's that's when to do it. It's just Or at yeah. sunset. It's just really, really gorgeous. We have got the sun setting behind you in the west. And you turn around onto a basin and final. It's quite lovely.
1: How about you, uh, Al? Um,
3: well, I go
0: to Gibraltar. Uh, which is a Category C airfield. So airfields or airports are categorised, so a Category C airport requires specific training before you can go there as a captain. So I go there, and that can be quite challenging. It's a relatively short runway uh, with water at each end, so there's no opportunity of an overrun, and uh, it has a 1,500-foot rock just to the south of the runway that creates its own wind effect so it's not uncommon to get a tailwind at both ends of the runway there uh, or a headwind turning into a tailwind which can be uh, quite disappointing so that's quite challenging Um, funnily enough one of the more challenging places that i go to very regularly is uh, my home base manchester and you may ask why yes Um, just like uh, parking in your own driveway because you go there often there's a fair amount of expectation that uh, when the weather is not particularly nice, uh, that you should be able to to get in. It's okay to uh, to cry off and go somewhere else if you're somewhere that you're unfamiliar with. But there's a little bit of an expectation um, when the when the weather's poor. I'm t- particularly talking about winds sort of stiff, gusty, blustery crosswinds. That you will get into your home base. So, that's always a factor to bear in mind in the threat and error management side of your brief. That uh, just because uh, it's a home base, it doesn't make it any easier to land the aeroplane. The Mm -hmm. aeroplane doesn't know. Um, so yeah, that makes it sometimes challenging um, from a different perspective.
2: Well, and of course, you are you are sort of subject to the same sort of conditions with any airfield, you know, weather and and wind, crosswinds and things like that. I mean, it doesn't just because, as you say, just because it's your familiar home, if you like, doesn't necessarily make it any less challenging.
0: Uh, absolutely, and quite often um, you will be in a, a stream of traffic, and you know the two aircraft ahead
2: of you uh,
0: get in and land. And we end up having to go around and the, the traffic behind you manages to get in. And there's almost a sort of self-imposed magnifying glass of, well, why didn't it work for us? And, of course, for something like wind, it just happened to be that you were unlucky and you got a gust of wind that someone else didn't.
1: Are there any airports in the, uh, in the UK, Al, that you, sort of, that you see on your list to land at or something? And you think, oh, God, I love that. Any sort of special airports that you like to, to, uh, to go into in the UK? Um, The ones that give fantastic service. uh, That's difficult.
0: Um, We have service level agreements with uh, the handling agents at uh, all of our uh, UK airfields, so we tend to get fairly well looked after from that point of view. Uh, Air traffic control in the UK is generally very, very good. Um, There are certain places that we, we go to where... Uh, things have done exceptionally well and I'm I'm going to put my hand on my heart and say that the controllers at Manchester do an absolutely fantastic job Um, so you know, thumbs up to those guys they have a real uh, good perception of what we require from them uh, rather than just doing their own game and trying to get us to fit in
1: I'm guessing for you Pip, because you're based at Luton with uh, SafeJet, I'm guessing you you get quite good uh, treatment from the guys at Luton
3: yeah they're not they're not too bad they're not the best actually mm. they're a funny old lot at Luton the uh the FBO we use there um yeah they got their quirks I, I shouldn't say anything uh, too derogatory <laughs> no. live on air but you'd be amazed actually as you travel around the world or, or at least in, in Europe and near Europe how variable the service can be from the uh, airport operators you know like Al said most places in the UK and Northern and Western Europe are pretty good, but go further afield, and it can be outright shocking uh, how bad they are.
1: So another question for you, Al, on the spot again. Tony S., will you be transferring to the 737 Max in the future?
0: Regrettably. (laughs) There you go, you heard it here
1: first. (laughs) That's not something you look forward to then.
0: Um, no, no, for the, the reasons that I, I, I mentioned earlier, the, yeah. uh, the transition to flying the, the Boeing um, is, is going to be difficult in in many respects because ultimately it's a 1960s airplane um, that's you know had a, a new paint job, but it is an extremely economical airplane, um, so it does allow us the opportunity to uh stretch our wings a little bit further and uh i believe the airplane is going to have very good range so um there's the possibility of some of the options being etops uh 73 maxes so it's not all bad it's just uh, it's uh, in some ways you know we all have our you know particular preference of sort of motor car or whatever and we look disparagingly at you know other makes of motor car but people uh, I mean the one that immediately springs to mind is for many many years uh, people who drove around in alfa romeos had you know very pretty cars but for heaven's sake, don't let it rain, otherwise they're on the hard shoulder. <laughs>
5: um,
0: so uh, m- many a joke made at the expense of, uh, you know, Alfa Romeo drivers, but, you know, for them, it was, it was their pride and joy. I'm not going to say the Airbus is my pride and joy, but it's a very nice airplane, a comfortable office to spend many hours of your day in.
1: And uh, another question from the chat room. Uh, another one for you, Al. Oh, you're a bit popular today, isn't it? Al's a popular chap. Poor Pip. Oh, I can see where I'm though. not wanted. Come on, <laughs> poor Pip. Come on, get your questions in for Pip. Uh, from Neville Bounds in the chat room, Al. How different is the A321 to handle compared to the A320, especially on finals?
0: Um, not greatly. Um, the uh 321 um, is quite sensitive uh, to tail strikes, both takeoff and landing. So we talked a little bit earlier on in the episode about uh, tail strikes. Uh, that's just due to the fact that the A321 is a 320 with a plug put in the fuselage to make it longer, so the geometry means that the uh, tail gets a bit closer to the ground. Uh, the 321's heavier, so it makes it a little bit more stable. Uh, the 320 tends to get thrown around a little bit more in turbulence, um, I actually prefer the 321 over the 320 um, in the final approach because it has a, a, a more flattering uh, touchdown if you get it right than the, the 320 does. It's, um, it's relatively easy to get the 321 to land without anybody noticing in the cabin, um, which is always quite nice, um, whereas the 320 um, tends to arrive
2: there we go. Arrive. Arrive. <laughs> right, okay. Gently arrive. Yeah, right, of course, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't expect anything less.
1: So, one for both of you. We'll go with Pip first. Uh, any opinions or at all from uh, both of you about the Rome airports, if you've flown into those, guys?
3: That's from, uh, That's Jenny, from isn't Jennifer. isn't Do you really yeah. want to know, Jennifer? Um, you better let her know. Italy, Italy has... I'll be nice. Italy has its peculiarities and its, its quirks and once you accept them i think uh, life is <laughs> life is a lot easier yeah <laughs> st- more stress-free yeah. i mean I, I mean i spend a lot of time in italy uh, we don't go to fumancino quite so much uh Ciampino usually which is the the other rome airport the one that ryanair goes to um but the thing in oh, there's a few things in italy really drive me mad first of all is their perception of time they'll tell you five minutes, 10 minutes could mean anything between 20 minutes and four hours. So you need to get that into your head. Um, And then they just, there's a lot of, I don't know, red tape and bureaucracy and, and um, odd little procedures they have that seem to be there purely designed to get more money out of you. For instance, we park up and this is not just Rome airports. In fact, it's more prevalent in the North really up in Milan and places like that. But you'll park on a great big apron. You'll be the only aircraft there. And they'll park you up. And we don't have air bridges and stuff like that. So anywhere else you'd just be able to start up the engines and taxi off. But not in Italy. They insist that they have to push you back and turn you around. Despite the fact you've got sat in about 50 acres of apron. You've got plenty of room to taxi off. But they insist that you get hooked up to the tow cart and push back because you then got to pay whatever it is, three, four, five hundred euros for the privilege. And it's completely unnecessary, and it seems, from my perception at least, just to be designed to to get more money out of you. Having said that, I absolutely love going to Italy, uh, and they're lovely, friendly people, full of life, who are out to enjoy themselves, and and they do their best just with some uh, sort of odd red tape and bureaucracy to to get around.
1: What about you, Al? Have you uh, been to Italy?
3: Yeah, we go to Fiumicino,
0: and there's probably a good reason as to why Pip goes to uh, Champino because Fiumicino is a very, very busy airport and it's absolute chaos. Um, and uh, it, it, everything that Pip has said uh, applies perfectly to, to Fiumicino. There is a, a kind of uh, a Rome sort of general sort of attitude of, well, of, hey, this is Fiumicino, and you know like it or lump it, uh, as Pip said, you know, time is uh, it's something largely irrelevant time. gave watchers uh, down and in and a watch. And uh, a couple of hours later, he came up to me and said, uh, hey, the watch you gave me, it doesn't work. And I started to laugh. And he said, what are you laughing about? And I said, why, Quite easy. I had a I back with my first officer that had more hours before you watch.
1: And uh, that, that kind of sums up how they have that sort, of, uh,
0: uh, sort of view of time. Everything operates on their own time, not
1: necessarily the time that's published in the schedule. Okay, <laughs> we, had a, we had a bit of an issue there. Sorry with, about the audio uh, quality Captain there. Yeah. Audio there. He's, I think yeah, it was signal. a rubbish joke, rubbish joke, don't <laughs> worry about it, just <laughs> yeah.
3: on. You're, I think your uh, <laughs> signal's
1: a bit, bit uh, wibbly yes. wibbly there. Yes.
3: Yeah. The other thing I find in uh, Italy, do you get this, Al, as well? I'm sure you do. Whenever you're coming sort of from the north heading south maybe you're going to down towards uh, egypt or somewhere else but you get into the milan fir and you have to descend down to level 270 or lower and you say to them but why we're still 400 miles from our destination but no they insist you've got to descend down to this crazy low level no i can't say so i've experienced that particularly um oh really i uh, oh, get it yeah. all the time particularly well, going to nice if you're coming from the uh um from the east, going across northern Italy towards France, you get these descents sort of four or five hundred miles from the destination, all due to the Milan FIR. Don't know why, because no, no, I've managed to find no. a reason for it. No, no, for that sort of thing, I'd say, no, we can't, I'm afraid. Oh, wow. Ask someone
5: else.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they probably do. They come and ask us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no.
1: So we've got a couple more questions then before we round up the show then, uh, from Masha, this one for you, Pip um uh, this is obviously because next sunday you'll be running the marathon yeah uh what is your target time for finishing the marathon next week
3: oh i don't really have one i suppose in a an ideal fantasy land thing i've got uh four and a half hours in the in the back of my mind but Ooh, I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not out to break any records personal or, or otherwise i just want to finish the thing yeah well, what's I- your time going to be al <laughs> uh, well, oh, that's, that's I, right. You're not doing the marathon. The burger marathon. <laughs> the burger no, marathon. no. Uh, five hours and
0: twenty was my marathon time when I ran it many years ago, and I, I was quite pleased to, uh, to to break six hours. To be perfectly wow. honest, uh, and I know that to uh, to people like Dr. Steph, they'll be looking in complete amusement that anybody would set a target of six hours. But you know, it's a heck of a long way. And there are a lot of McDonald's to stop at on the way. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Of course, other burger chains are available, ladies oh, and yeah. gentlemen. <laughs> it's just out there. Go
3: to them. <laughs> yeah, no, we and
1: we, we've got uh, one, one last question then for you, Pip. And uh, this is from Neville Bounds in the chat room. Uh, Neville's asked, what are the largest number of sectors you have ever done in one day?
3: Uh, it's not many. It's five, and that was quite recently. Five short sectors. Uh, the longest flying time I've done in one day, I think, it was about twelve hours. I did two six-hour flights once back in my old aerial survey days. But uh, number of sectors, just just five.
1: Quite a long. What what is actually the longest flight you do then, Pip? The sort of the longest stretch you can do in in the Hawker.
3: Um, I suppose London to somewhere like Chelyabinsk. In Russia, that's about five hours. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, the, the thing will do about two and a half thousand nautical miles, something okay. like that. Depends exactly, you know, if you're flying long range or high-speed cruise or whatever, it, yeah. uh, distances vary, but something like that, what's pushing th- six hours.
1: What's uh, what's your longest trip in the 321 you do, uh, Al?
3: Um, the longest trip we do with passengers
0: on board is uh, Hagarda. Uh, which is usually around about uh 5 and a quarter hours out and 6 hours 20 back
1: oh wow there you go you heard, heard it here first. first All done
2: it all done in the one day all done in the one day Blimey, that is, a, that is a long day. <laughs> especially, the, especially at the controls. Right, well, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, me, P- producer Matt here says it's time to start wrapping to wrap things up. up, I'm afraid. Oh, uh, damn. I know, oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. This is the, the
1: longest show I think we've ever done in, in PTUK <laughs> <Absolutely>. history. <laughs> this is fantastic. But, no, it's and been, it's been really a good. show, yes. No, absolutely. no, no. Thanks, you guys, for coming on, both of you. Yeah. Absolutely I should be calling more often. I know. Absolutely. So first off, then, where can uh, everyone find you, Pip? Where's, where can people find uh, Plane Safety, then?
3: Uh, well, right now, they can find me in Chester, but uh, please don't. <laughs> I'm about to go and have my dinner. But otherwise, you can find me at the usual places, www.planesafetypodcast.com, on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. And, of course, as you guys have kindly mentioned many times before, the marathon coming up on Saturday, So, If you'd like to make a donation, just go to the website. And thank you, everyone, by the way, who has done so, uh, so far. It's been really, really overwhelming. So many of you have donated, so thanks very much.
2: And, uh, yeah, so it's www.planesafetypodcast.com. If you want to... Uh, make a donation. You can see, if those of you are watching on YouTube, you can see on the left-hand side there, there is a a, a, a page labelled London Marathon 26 Ooh, Appeals. Nice. It's 20, 2016 Appeals. So click on that, and that'll take you straight to his uh, his uh, donating page. So, Captain Al, you obviously uh,
1: you have your own website and your own sort of business. You do. Uh, tell our listeners a bit more about that and where they can find out those details.
0: Yeah, just a very short quick cheap plug um i help people who uh, have a fear or a phobia of flying um so uh, you can look me up on uh flight fleet oh excuse me flight all one word FlightFearSolutions.co.uk. um or you can get me on twitter um i'm big1170 Al all one word um and i'm quite happy to take uh, random questions uh Uh, with regards to flying at uh, info at flightfearsolutions.co.uk and I'll try my best to answer those. Um, And uh, if you're on Twitter, then uh, drop me a a thingy or whatever it is and uh, I'll, I'll join up with you, whatever the protocol is.
1: I must say, there's a lovely, lovely picture of you there, Al, on your, uh, on your website there, on the Flight Free okay. Solutions website. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll just, uh, have, yeah, if you, on if the you screen. weren't
3: scared of flying already, then go and have a look <laughs> at that picture. And <laughs> oh, <will> be- <laughs> now stop it, you.
1: Do you know what? This has been an absolutely fantastic yeah, show. I want to totally really thank uh, both Pip and Al for joining us on this week's show. You um, guys are, you've just brought a, We've got a whole another level to the to the show. Really, no, it's been brilliant. Uh, I'm going to be really <laughs> well, well,
2: boring. I'm just going to plug our own. Actually, by the way, our, our website. Uh, don't forget uh, to, to go to our website. It is www.plaintalkinguk. Dot com. and uh, on there you can see the links to our Patreon page also links to YouTube and all our previous episodes are available on there as well that's www.plaintalkinguk.com to send us an email we love your audio feedback please do yes, send we us need your audio feedback. feedback and it is uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. facebook.com forward slash uk is, is where you'll find us on there and our Twitter handle at talking uk. So don't forget, next week we will be... Yeah! And this is, this, is yeah, setting, no, this so will happen, this will happen. We
1: will be recording on Sunday morning, and uh, hopefully we will be linking up live with Pilot Pip yep. while he's running the London Marathon yep. 2016. Uh, we're going to hope to... Uh, Pip's going to hopefully bring us a whole entire segment from uh, the London
2: Marathon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> no, we're not going to make him do that at all. We're not going to make him do that. But uh, as I say, hopefully, we're going to be on air from around about 10 o'clock, uh, and hopefully we're going to link up with Pip around about the 11 a.m., Mark, just so he's got time to get underway. Yeah. Have
0: you got a special Plane Talking UK foil blanket thing for him <laughs> we should do yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: we're kind of
1: hoping he'll wear the t-shirt i know it's covered in decorating paint but
2: we're kind that of hoping heavy stuff you know that'll weigh him down that's true yes that true. Yeah, absolutely. it's nice to see oh, our t-shirt gets oh, to good it. use pip okay
1: <laughs> so that's we're going to bring episode 108 to a close we're going to thank everyone in the chat room for joining us this afternoon uh, across the globe, we've had people from all ends of the world joining us in the chat room. So, thanks yeah. very much to, for all you for joining us in. Also, because Matt has been incredibly ill, it's uh, great <laughs> to see you. I am here, her. though.
2: I am here still. I've done well. But I, we still we have up.
1: had a doctor in the chat room. Dr. Steph's been yep. in the chat room. So, we obviously, have. Matt's yep. been feeling a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. Heavily medicated. Um, heavily medicated, um, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, no, thanks everyone in the chat room for joining us. And thanks to all you guys who've downloaded the show uh, via iTunes and the other. Uh, Podcast uh, places
2: to download the show and listen to us every week. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. Don't forget, obviously, Pip is doing his marathon next week, Woo-hoo! which is very, very exciting. So, planesafetypodcast dot com London Marathon twenty sixteen appeal is where you make a very generous, and as a, even a pound, I'm
3: sure, will help
2: help spur him on as he's pounding the streets of London. So, any last
1: words from you, Pilot Pip, before we close the show?
3: No, thanks for having us on today, uh, chaps. It was a lot of fun, as always.
1: Yeah,
2: it's been really good fun, thanks.
1: And Captain Al?
0: Yeah, to uh, to the other half of the Mork and Mindy duo that uh, <laughs> you've had on the show today, thanks very much for the invite. <laughs> um, I, I hope you've enjoyed our entertainment. It's been um, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, actually,
2: <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to listening to this back, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so, yeah, thank you for the invite, and I, I'll just add uh, your best wishes to, to Pip, um... Yeah. All jokes aside, um, there's a charity that will benefit greatly from his hard work, and yep. that will help hopefully a lot of people. So, yep. so go for
3: it. Thank you, sir.
1: So, for me, Carlos here in the sunny now uh, yeah, East it is Anglia. I don't know how that happened. It it is, That's how long uh, we've been on air, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's summertime, sunny now. here. So travelled from... <laughs>
2: all the way from up north. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've got Al's <laughs> good weather. Yeah, now. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah.
1: for me, Carlos here in the PTUK studios in East Anglia. It's a big goodbye.
2: And from me, Matt, here, uh, who's a little bit full of cold, which is why uh, we've, <laughs> we've had some people step in, it's a very snotty goodbye. Uh, and you guys, it's uh, time to say goodbye.
3: Yeah, from me in the Roman city of Chester, it's uh, cheerio. And
2: from rural
3: Cheshire, toodle-pip.
2: Hey. Bye, guys. Bye.